What's happening, weirdos? This is an episode I am very, very excited about. This is one of my all-time new newest, meaning I've only known about them for, uh, I don't know, six months. Uh, but I can already say one of my all-time favorite bands of all time. Did I already say of all time? This is Bird Talker. Uh, specifically, this is Zach and Danny Green. They are incredible. Um, I just want to make sure their last name is Green. What if it isn't? It is. It is Green. Oh, good. That would have been a bad way to start. Zach and Danny uh, Green. <laughs> they are a delight. They're uh, Richard Rohr. They're Alan Watts. They are Ramdas set to music, basically, but not um, not in any way that I can really describe. Just the best parts of mysticism uh, and sort of brilliant, transcendent ideas, um, but in a amazing, amazing band that I would just like them uh, just straight for their music. But it also so happens that if you listen to them carefully or not even that carefully, you'll find yourself moved and transported. I gush about them enough in the episode. I don't have to do it here. We're going to listen uh, to one of their songs, but first I want to thank everybody for your support of this podcast. Obviously, it's a free show, and the best way to support us if you enjoy us is to try one of the Pete's Picks. And a great way to start is uh, everybody wears pants, or almost everybody enjoys pants. I like pants, <laughs> but I hate hard pants. I really do. I don't know where we went wrong as a species that we started wearing stiff uncomfortable, ill-fitting, hard jeans that take months to break in and don't give you the room to be comfortable. To be honest, it's the 21st century. Let's start wearing comfortable, soft pants that look good. Enter my favorite pants. No lie. This is, this is Ernest, the perfect jean. They look great. Val said they're my, her favorite jeans that I own. But here's the secret. They feel amazing. They're super soft. They're super flexible. But it is a secret. They look so good. No one needs to know. I was going around wearing yoga pants. I couldn't pull it off. Like, I, I'm not sting. I can't pull off linen or, or yoga pants in public. But I still, I wouldn't give up. Why are we trapping parts of our bodies, especially the fellas, restricting them tightly like they owe us money? These jeans solve that problem. They're the best pants I've ever owned. I haven't taken them off since they've arrived months ago. I would sleep in them. I have napped in them. Absolutely no problem. Empty the pockets, brother. You're wearing cool pajamas, basically. They have uh, some spandex in there. They've got some rayon in there for extra comfort and movement, but it looks like denim. It looks like cotton. It looks like regular jeans, but they stretch so your nuts ain't crushed, thereby providing the only true home for your bone. Yep, that's in there. It's the only true home for your bone. Uh, there's specialized washing, so your jeans literally feel as soft as a baby's butt, and you might even forget you're wearing pants. They're also durable, constructed utilizing the highest quality materials and sewing techniques to provide you with a product that is built to last. This is not some flashy gimmick. These are high quality jeans. And best of all, they're not khakis. Fuck your khakis and spare your nuts. The perfect jean for the perfectly imperfect man is just 60 bucks. It's a great deal for any pair of jeans, a good pair of jeans. 60 bucks for stretchy, comfy jeans when you use weirdo at the code 
at checkout. Liberate your lower limbs with the one and only perfect gene. I love this part. Whether you're working with lemons or lentils, what? A three-leaf clover, a big old eggplant, hmm? The perfect gene has you covered. Take a peek www.theperfectgene.nyc that's theperfectgene.nyc use code weirdo for 25% off at checkout I've already had some weirdos reach out to me and thank me for introducing them to these incredible pants I know I'm glad I found them and I couldn't mean that more also for my cat owners uh, we joke on this podcast, I have a dog, but I am a cat person that has its own uh, issues. Val's allergic, but I've always had cats, and my mom currently has two cats, Gizmo and Baby, and I have signed her up for the Kitty Poo Club. I love cats, but even if you love your cat, super, super, super million maximum, <laughs> that's not a phrase. The kitty litter box is the worst part of owning a cat. I love cats, but I always hated having a stinky, nasty, dried-up gravel desert filled with Lincoln logs and dried-up... It's nasty. It smells bad. It's unpleasant to change. It's unpleasant to sift it out. Gross. It's the worst. But Kitty Poo Club takes care of all of that. It fixes the most unpleasant part of cat ownership so you can get back to the good part. Your cat sleeping on your face, your cat walking across the keyboard while you're in the middle of an important Zoom call, napping with your cat in a sunbeam, eating from the same can of tuna, you know, the good cat stuff. But it gets rid of the litter box as we know it. No one likes changing their kitty box, their kitty box, their kitty litter box. So it's time to say goodbye to the litter box as we know it and hello to Kitty Poo Club. Kitty Pool Club, Kitty Poo, Kitty Pool Club is different. That's an exclusive swimming club. You, you can't get in. Kitty Poo Club is an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. The boxes are, of course, leak-proof, eco-friendly, and even have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, just boom, recycle the box, and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. No changing used litter, and no more cleaning the box. You can customize your order based on how many cats you have, in my case, my mom, too, and what type of litter you prefer. In my mom's case, the first one. (laughs) We didn't get into her preference. And Kitty Poo Club has a no-risk guarantee, and you can easily customize or cancel your order any time. And right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off, weirdos, for your first order when you set up AutoShip by going to kittypooclub.com and using promo code WEIRD. Just go to kittypooclub.com, promo code WEIRD, 20% off when you set up AutoShip. One last time, Kitty Poo Club, because it's fun to say, don't forget to use promo code WEIRD at checkout to get yourself out of the litter box conundrum, as I'll call it, and show your support of this podcast. It always means a lot. Also, last but not least, right here on the desk, I just took three because I've been writing tonight. I've been working on a script, and for the past five, six years now, I have not done anything important that involves my brain without taking two or three alpha brain uh, beforehand, like 15 minutes beforehand. It's not like a stimulant. It's not like coffee. It doesn't get you jacked. It just gives your brain the nutrition that it needs to function for memory, for focus. These are earth-grown ingredients like fish food for your brain, fish food for your creativity, for your concentration. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Anything uh, that I do, like I said, podcasts, scripts, 
stand-up, even if I'm just going out to dinner with Val back in the real world, or just staying in for dinner with Val and watching You've Got Mail for Valentine's Day on this couch as we did, I will take some Alpha Brain beforehand because I want to be clear. I want my brain to function well. I want to have access to my vocabulary. I want to remember what we're doing. I want to remember what we've done. Anything. I wish I had this stuff in college, but I am so glad that I have it now. I got the whole writer's room on crashing, or a good number of them involved involved uh, on it. They love it. So many creative people I know have taken my recommendation and started taking it, and it is a for real game changer. I have it in my car. I have it in the pockets of my jackets. I have it in pretty much every cupboard in the house. I am never far from a bottle of Alpha Brain. The best way to see if it works for you is to try it. Go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you'll get 10% off every product you see on that landing page, and you show your support of this pod podcast. Onnit.com slash weird. Couldn't be easier. Show your support and do your noggin some throggin'. Throggin is a word that means like loving, support, nurturing, giving it what it needs to function at its highest. Onnit.com slash weird. Couldn't be easier. Uh, okay, we're going to listen to a Bird Talker song. God, I hope you like them. If you like them half as much as I do, you're going to shit your pants. Um, I also want to say that there was like a weird um, inner... Uh, we were picking up a signal of some guy using a, a two-way radio. Uh, I think he was working or something in the area uh, in Nashville where they were. So you may hear that a couple times. Um, rest assured, we fix it. So at a certain point... Um, there might be like a jump cut and all of a sudden we're talking differently. That's because we stopped and started again because there was a sound issue. But uh, we, we got right back into it. And man, I loved this chat. We're going to listen uh, to any of their songs. Could have been great. I really love their song One, if you want to start with that after you listen to this. But we're going to listen to the song Looking for Love um, because it's one of the songs that we talk about the lyrics quite a bit in this episode. Um, I really encourage you, as I did, just throw on some headphones, listen to this song quietly, and just let it take you into your heart. I mean, come on. That is a high endorsement of a band, but that is what they do for me. So this is Looking for Love. Uh, We'll listen to that, and then we'll roll right into the podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Get into it. She don't hear me when she thinks she's right But she says she loves me when she loves french fries Aren't we all so safe now inside each other's hearts? I've been looking, I've been looking for love Symphony, no longer one lane drop. He is the 
waiting for me to set her free Is love all around us? Is it the air we breathe? I've been looking, I've been looking I've been looking, I've been looking for Hi guys. Hi Zach. Hi Danny. Hi. I'm going to rename myself so you don't forget my name and call me Valerie. Mm. Mm. Uh, mm. You look like a Valerie. Mm. <laughs> really ingesting that comment. Mm. Mm. <laughs> We're just recording. Is that okay? Oh yeah. That's okay with me. I don't want to sabotage. Dan, your hair's so long. I love it. I only know one photo of you and it was short. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> Is that weird it's, to say? It's been growing. No, I get that a lot. It's the teen. I, the teen. <laughs> yeah. The teen cut? Is that what that is? The teen cut? The teen growth. The teen growth, yeah. I guess yours is too, Zach. I, I guess I there's only like one band photo that I've ever seen of you guys and you're looking very Sinead. Mm. Yeah, that's the problem is that that's uh, that's how people know me for the most part. As the short-haired lady? Yeah, I was the short-haired lady coming out. Uh, oh, no. Or or I have to imagine, speaking of Valerie, that you might – oh, you're, you're Zach's wife. As if Is that an identity people hoist on you as well in yeah, interviews? I get, I get that too, which is not untrue. No, I know. I know. Yeah, but no, nobody's ever called me Valerie's husband. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I know Valerie's not in my band, but she, she's she's a big part of my creative life and all that. Where where are you guys right now? We're in a bedroom in our house in. Madison. Wait, you're wearing a robe. <laughs> I am. You're wearing a robe. I love it. Talked about this. He was going to change, and I didn't want him to. Well, that's halfway true, because uh, I also didn't really want to change. It was more of an obligatory to. choice I would have made. You love the robe. I love this robe. The robe's been the Halloween costume for like three years running. It has, yeah. and it also has been my companion many days this year. Yeah. Yeah. As as a good robe should be. What What is the Halloween costume, guy in robe? Mm. Um. I've been uh, the dude from the Big Lebowski very many times. Oh, I believe it's the wrong color, but I love it. I he know. could it's, he could own another robe. <laughs> My guess I, is he does. What's like, that? Yeah, you're getting. He does. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like my energy coming into this podcast is all off. I complimented Danny's hair right out the gate, which was overly familiar. And then I criticized your robe for being the wrong color. Oh, and no, it's the right color for me, for sure. It is the right color for you. Yeah. And it's the right color for the big Lebowski. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Lebowski? What's his first name? In the movie? Yeah. Uh, don't even know. Who knows? I know that... Uh, <laughs> It's not important. People are screaming, I'm going to say, at their radios. Um, but well, the dude is his name as far as I'm concerned. I guess. Yeah, that's right. 
You know, I, I want to confess something up top just to, to, to ease us into our chat. Um, yeah. I don't care for the Big Lebowski. I can't get into it. Yeah. I yeah. understand shots fired. Every time I watch it, I, I end up giving up. It's it's not – it's you know what it is? Is there's so much peril and disagreeing and shooting. It's not that I don't like movies like that. Mm-hmm. But my the, the flaw – is that I go, the dude, like, I want to be like the dude. And then you put it in and you're not hanging with the dude. You're with nihilists. You're with angry bowlers. You're with like a strange rich guy that like sort of breaks my heart. You know, not that, you know what I mean? Like, he's just so sad. He's a dragon in a castle and he's miserable and is hot. And there's a, a, a toe and a ransom and, and, and violence. And I'm all for that. But when I'm in the mood for The Big Lebowski, I'm actually thinking of something that isn't The Big Lebowski. I want it to be like, everything's cool, man. We're just hanging out. But then he's like getting a ferret thrown in his bathtub. And that's not what I signed up for. Yeah. I totally relate when to When I that recall film. that movie. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want I to offend. Much, no, I think I've only seen it one time. Okay. It's not like we're huge fans. And I always just kind of picture the bowling alley, a bowling alley scene. That's it. When I think of the Big Lebowski, I'm just like, oh yeah, the guys that hang out in the bowling alley. Mm-hmm. Fucking a. And that's, that's all I. That's I all picture I him putting his hair up with that big banana clip, and I'm just like, I just want to <laughs> hang out with that guy, and I, yeah. and like, I'll often be stoned because I'm like, oh, it's a stoned movie, and then you're stoned, and you're like, they cut off her toe. Is that her toe? And like, it, it, it's not a good stoned movie. It's like a coffee. It's like a caper. It's a caper. Yeah, it's stressful. It's stress. I feel the same way about Pineapple Express. There's too much caperness. I just want to yeah. hang out with goofy guys. I agree. Well, That's not a stoner movie, right? It's a coffee movie. It's a, <laughs> a who done it. What were you going to say, Zach? Oh, just the attractive part of that particular character to me is how unattached he seems in moments, and I right. Don't. And so right. I think that's what I'm attracted to in that character. Mm. You know, that's what you're channeling. That's what I'm trying to channel in my day to day. Uh, no, not, I, not in a an apathetic detachment, you know, but like a an unaffected detachment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he definitely seems like a modern. Like Le, there would be no Lebowski fest if there wasn't some deep rooted. I'll say Buddhism. A lot of people are into non resistance, but there's like a real. He's a real flow state. You know what I mean? Sure. Like he can't. He has. He has no. Uh, it's like being there. Remember the movie Being There? Absolutely I've never seen that not. movie. Well, you don't even have to see it. I'm not even saying I recommend it. It just will fill a gap in your vocabulary cool. because it's a movie about a guy who just walks around with zero preferences. That's the movie. Cool. He just goes around and, and says yes to everything, but he's very – he's sort of simple. It's almost like he's challenged, meaning he's not a, a critical thinker. But because he's not a critical thinker, he just walks around and people like – love him and uh, and they project onto him what they want to see so everyone likes him but really he's just kind of i don't want to say i know simpleton isn't like it but he's simple he's simple and at the end of the movie it's it's not a spoiler it's such an old movie he walks off and he walks on water so it's like they know what they're doing they're doing like a if you have no preferences it's got it's um gandhi if you make yourself zero your power is infinite that's the movie that's so I think lovely. 
I, <laughs> that was lovely. <laughs> but it sounds lovely. I could stone and watch that movie. Yeah, I think that would be a better a better choice. Uh, in the Big Lebowski. I think it's so funny we started off talking about that because I haven't even thought about him since a few years ago when I was the Big Lebowski for Halloween because a friend said I looked like him. Was that last year? Mm-hmm. Oh, my. <laughs> the year before that. Well, we're all the dude now. It's less novel. I like know. the it's fantasy of like, imagine if you just wore a bathrobe. <laughs> it's original. It is. And before this podcast started, Val said to me, she, she was leaving. We were, we listened to your whole record. Um, I know you have, I, I listened to your new stuff as well, but I wanted to talk mostly about the record so people could listen to it. You know what Thank I'm saying? You. Yeah. God, guys, shut the fuck up. Thank you. I I don't – can you see my eyes? Like, I spent the morning literally crying. I've been crying all morning. I don't, I don't know how you perform these songs. I really don't. <laughs> like, there's certain lines. Like, I know we all love Richie. I know we're all going to get into theology. I'm excited to talk to you about our mysticism and all that stuff. But when I read the truth, it's difficult. If someone sings the truth, get the... That's why I said, shut the fuck up. I'm saying, like, get the fuck out of here. Like, what is your deal? (laughs) You're talking to your biggest fan in the world. And I'm telling you something. I'm sorry, Danny. I I don't mean to cut you off. But to really put a bow on the compliment. For me, I listen to I'll Be Better in the Morning. Or is it called In the Morning? Better in the morning, yeah. Better in the morning. I I listened to that. I had never heard that one. And I was just wrecked. And I was thinking about like, and I'm going to put this to you, but to me, the morning is is our chance to like set the tone for the day. Uh, And I always start the day, everybody that listens to this podcast, I don't know if you've read Just This by Richie, Richard Rohr. It's like little two page chapters. So I love it. Even if you're super busy, you can read. It's so fast. And it just, like Radiohead, the, the term Radiohead, it tunes me into a different frequency. Or if I have more time, like I did this morning, ooh, I couldn't wait to brag that I meditated this morning. <laughs> or I'll read, you know, read, meditate. But it never, or I'll go on a hike. And when I go on a hike is when I'll listen to your record. And that'll just blow me away. Because you're in nature and you're listening and your heart just explodes But this morning, I just sat here where I'm sitting, and it was like a wrecking ball to my my heart, to my spiritual heart. I I say that as if anyone thinks I mean my biological heart. But I was like, that is an incredible practice. That makes it boring. I don't mean practice. It was just an incredible way to start my day that just completely broke me down, opened me up. And I, I think you guys know the difference. Obviously, we're always tuned in, but like our awareness of our tuned inness varies. Can we agree on that? <laughs> and it made me drop so much and just come into the sound and come into the ideas. I was like, you guys are fucking nuts. I can't oh believe God. you. I can't. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not a seven. I'm a three. And. But uh, seven is my, on the Enneagram is my third number. I sometimes say that a seven hosts this podcast, but I'm not one of those guys. 
you know what I mean? That just goes like, you're the shit. I don't do that. I, it's artificial. I'm telling you, and I'll put it to you now. I want to hear your thoughts on the morning and stuff, but I've been crying. I was like, oh, I'll just listen and I'll write down some lyrics we can talk about. Maybe that'll be fun. I'll just say like, what, what do you think about this line? And like my hand is shaking. I like, I had to like pause and like break down and then resume it. It was like a, a tidal wave of love and beauty. It's just incredible. I know that's a lot and I wasn't planning on saying it, but that's if, if my eyes look verklempt, it's because I've been, and I'm a Lithuanian Irish wasp. Do you understand how hard it is? Like I'm not a, if my heart is open, I'll cry at anything. I'll cry at anything. But like I went from zero to weeping and it's, it's, it's really, if you ever wonder, are we, is anyone getting this or are they just kind of having a good throwdown, a good, a good uh, boot stomp? I'm like, this shit is strong. It's a, the transmission is strong. It's undeniable. Wow. And now, uh, what do you think about the morning? <laughs> I don't know. Guys, I've been brought up on stage when people are like, this guy's a genius. He's a comedic genius. He's my favorite comedian. You're going to be blown away. And those are always bad shows. I always go up and I can't, I can't do it. I don't know what they're talking about. It's so much better to slip in and be like, you don't know who I am, but like, oh, turns out I'm funny. So I'm not putting that burden on you to be what I just said. Because the music and the band and, and the transmission that it makes is so much bigger than just you guys. So please don't feel like you have to put on your genius hats. But but one question out of there, you can react to the compliment or, or whatever. But I'm also just interested in your feelings on the morning. Like, like, do you know what I'm talking about when it's like you can either set your your frequency to the the vibration behind everything <laughs> Or you can go around and be mad that your dog woke you up. You know what I mean? Like it's one or the other for me. Yeah. Those two feel kind of related to me because um, we've had to just make peace with the whole genius hat thing as mm. as we've done this. Um, just because the words that we've written and the music that we've written have come from you know, these really deep spaces in our own lives. And so they have connected with people in really deep ways. And mm. um, that's something that creates a kind of a, a tension and internal tension. I think when you try to relate those things back to you yourself as a small, the small self, you know, yeah, the only yeah. way that we can really psychologically be healthy and do what we're doing is to, at least for me, like I can't, I can't think about any of this in terms of me as a small self, but more so me as like, what can I tune into and what can I offer? I feel like, I, I feel like I don't even have to talk. Normally I would nudge the guest towards like, oh, you're tuning into something, but you said it. And I was like, oh, I'll just mute myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm going to drop Richie all the time. It's not, it won't even be the record. Maybe it will. But Richard Rohr says the same thing. I, I, um, I've written a lot of things for TV or whatever that reference him. And I always email him and I say, do you mind if I literally just quote you directly? I'm going to have a character who's not you say what you say. And his attitude is always like, I didn't say it. And he doesn't even mean it as like a, oh, I'm floating off my cushion. He's just like, 
there's one truth. You tap into it. Nobody owns the oil. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah. so, so he, I, I've seen him on YouTube saying the same thing. He's like, people write me for permission to quote me all the time. And I'm like, uh, it's not mine. <laughs> and so yeah. I hear you saying something similar. Right. Which that's the ideal. And I think it's important to also acknowledge that ego is always there and it feels really good to get compliments. Of course. You know, of course. You're good at what you do. Like that always feels good. So it's just like, it's just an awareness. It's just having to keep that awareness of. Right. Small self is doing these things, but it's also doing these things in connection to something that's much larger than me. And I feel a lot better when I can hang out in that space for longer. And so. In the true self? What do you mean? In the. Yeah. What space? Seeing myself as connected. I'm just one small part of this much larger life that is happening to me and through me, you know, and like that's sort of the, uh, that's the space I like to try to get into in the morning. That's when I can have the best days and do the best work. Oh, you relate to that? Like, it's sort of like your chance. It's like the first color on the canvas is very important. Yeah, it is very important. And I'm a horrible, I am like not a morning person and I don't, my morning routine a lot of times is a cigarette and a cup of coffee. So (laughs) it's not like I have this uh, amazing spiritual morning routine, but it's just, that's like the touchstone, you know, that I have to find throughout the day as often as I can. If there's anything I envy about, uh, well, there's a lot of things I envy about smokers. When I was single, it was leaving bars. I used to have a joke where I was like, I don't like smoking. I like leaving bars. Um, (laughs) So I would, I would smoke. I didn't even really, I'm, I'm just saying I didn't have the constitution for it. Some people grab it, but I would smoke because I wanted to talk to people. You seem like these types of people. I was like, I don't want to yell Maroon 5 to somebody, to a stranger. Like I'd rather go outside and be like, this is insane or whatever, or talk about anything. It doesn't have to be deep, but also, and I, I don't mean to encourage uh, your habit if that's something that you're not crazy about, but like there's something deliberate about it. It's like making tea. It, it's it's doing something with your hands and fire and smoke. These are kind of like spiritual things that slows you down. Yeah. So the smoke break, the seven minutes of I'm going to step away from my desk, non-smokers are right to envy that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I, I could see that being... Of course, I think we're all on the same page that anything can be deeply spiritual. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why I felt the need to validate that for you, but I, I did. I wanted to say, fuck that shit. A coffee and a cigarette, can anything can, anything can, anything can. It doesn't have to be a quiet time, right? Right. Yeah. Some days it does feel like a spiritual act, but a lot of time. I just said that to a friend the other day, actually, like that my smoking habit feels a lot like just an excuse to leave a lot of situations. <laughs> it's like, I, you can always just walk out of the room. And well, you, I kind of love that about it. This is my sauna. Um, and the main thing I tell people about my sauna, it's not as fancy as it seems. And you can, you can buy this sauna. And, um, <laughs> It's freestanding. It's not like part of the house. It's just a box. <laughs> and the difficulty I have, I, I love Val and I love my daughter and I have a really hard time saying, I'm going to go sit in the back uh, for an hour and just sit there. But you can say, I'm going to take a sauna. You know what I mean? It's the same mm-hmm. thing with a cigarette. You can't just say, work is overwhelming to me. 
Um, I don't feel like talking to people right now. Yeah. I'm going to go stand on the street corner for seven minutes, but you can <laughs> say I'm going to get a cigarette. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, I completely understand. I, even though I can seem extroverted, I, I love leaving things. I love canceled things. I, I love people are like, Oh, your show is canceled. What a bummer. I'm like, yeah, what a bummer. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally fine. With being alone and doing nothing and, and, and being um, quiet. Yeah. Speaking of quiet, Zach, I, 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 there had to be moments where you wanted to jump in there. Um, if there's anything, I just wanted to give you a chance. Um, it was lovely hearing you go back and forth. I, I relate to, I guess where my mind went the most was thinking about um, just what you said to us initially, just the overwhelming validation and like resonance that you experienced and how uh there is that duality in me that on some level as my psychological human self i can receive it and inflate and then there's the other side that i i recognize how unattached i am to whatever i experienced um to write those things that came mm. through in a moment of vulnerability and i uh yeah i feel like hearing you say that now as opposed to five or six years ago i'm able to receive it in a way that feels like if anything it's just encouraging me to continue the process that i experience and being with myself and opening myself up to my experiences and and, and dissonances inside mm. to, to continue that story uh, because it's so connective, like as a symptom, not like I'm doing this to be connective, but it just is, it just provides mm. a space for people to relax and feel seen because that's what it does for me. And mm -hmm. so that's, that's where my mind was swirling around. I hear that because look, I'm, I think we're we're both we're all into the same sort of stuff. <laughs> and if someone tells me you know the the ultimate is always ultimate that sounds so crazy but someone's like I was in a sad place and you brought me out of a sad place, right? It sounds so crazy for me to grade that and say that's the ultimate. I feel like an ass for saying that, but that is a big one. Let's just say it's a big that's a big feeling. Oh yeah. And the paradox is we can say, well, I, my true self is awareness and it, and it's not personal and it's, and it's the same awareness in me as in you. But then the, the, the other side of it, and I heard you both sort of hinting at this is like, we're also in these bodies and encouragement is, is a real thing. Yeah. And doing art or making anything, having a conversation takes energy and we can give that to each other. So I, and I don't hear you doing this, but like, I do think that people that are interested in the things we're interested in have to be aware of spiritual bypassing and um, being like, well, I didn't do it. Like when Rob Bell did this podcast, I was like, you did this great talk. And at the end you sort of were clapping too. And I was worried that he was saying like, I didn't do it. Uh, like God did it. And, uh, the, you know, like when I was in a praise group would, would point up when people would <laughs> clap for us. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also, there's, there's some phony, holy potential because we practiced 
And in Rob's case, you did years of research. You brought in a whiteboard that you had customized that shaped like a crescendo. Like, accept the applause. Like, God is applauding God. But, like, also let's drop it down and go, like, it's also fucking hard. And doing stand-up is hard. And writing music is hard. And if someone is like, that means a lot to me, um, it sounds like I'm not telling this to you. We're just talking about it as an idea. It's helpful to the paradox is like that's not true, but it's also like helpful if 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 someone's like, "I love your stuff, maybe that leads to you guys going like hey we're not we're not missing the mark, and we can and we'll and therefore you have the energy the psychic psychological energy to keep doing it yeah, that absolutely relatable, yeah, it just feels like a little like a little candle goes up a little bit farther down the hallway that I can walk towards when moments like that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we need a little bit of ego. I feel like we need a little bit of ego to make us want to do anything. I feel that way. Completely Um, agree. You know, it's, 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 is it an error or is it not? You know what I mean? Is it an error? Like, is it a mistake? Right. (laughs) Like I have one, we all have one. That's how we're moving throughout the world. So it's just, I try to be aware of what my ego is serving, you know, but I also, uh, I think well of myself, you know, yeah. and tell myself good things. And, um, that self relationship is just as important as realizing my relationship to something larger, you know? Right. I mean, isn't that, I'm reading, uh, the universal Christ again. Mm. And, um, when when Jesus in, in John he says I I'm the way the truth and the life it's it's this really tricky verse uh, for interfaith relation um, because no one f- comes to the Father except through me we would when I was young I would use that verse as like he's saying yeah. sorry Buddha sorry Krishna it's all him and then somebody introduced me it might have been Richie it might have been somebody else that he's speaking as the Christ he's speaking as as everything he's yeah. tuned into oneness and from the space of oneness he's recognizing all things come through this oneness, not Jesus of Nazareth, but the Christ, which other people might just call oneness or unitive consciousness. But then in, in the universal Christ, he makes the point that he's also saying, or Richard is saying that Jesus might also be saying it's both. It has to be human and divine together. I'm modeling that. Like, this is why I'm fascinated. I know I'm interrupting myself with Jesus's humanity, which is something that we whitewashed and turned him into Superman. And Superman is my least favorite superhero because he fucking sucks. <laughs> and it's so boring. The third act, it's always going to be kryptonite because it couldn't be anything else. <laughs> it couldn't be anything else. It's either a bad choice he has to make or kryptonite. He's so boring. He's just a tube of toothpaste. He's white bread. He sucks. And that is so many people's Jesus's. And when I get excited, uh, and I hope this is interesting to you, and then I'll put it to what it makes you think of, please. But Jesus got baptized. And baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. You know what I mean? And, and uh, Jesus was a bastard. I, I'm using that term clinically. Uh, he didn't have a father as far as people saw. So he knew what it felt like to feel shame and ostracized. He knew what it felt like to be angry. He was also kind of catty at times when people were like, hey, your mom's here. And he's like, why do you say that's my mom? That's not my mom. These people are my mom. Like he had the human experience. 
But to go back to the baptism, all these, all this like fan fiction was added later by the scribes and stuff that was like, I don't know if you know this, but the, in some of the gospels, he, he says to John the Baptist, like, uh, I know you're baptizing me, but really I'm baptizing you and uh, I baptize the world. Like there are these, they have to bend over backwards to explain why a perfect Superman would get baptized. So they say like, oh, he was basically just horsing around, you know, but the Jesus that really gets me going, that story is, no, he was, he didn't have a dad. He was feeling lost. He was feeling lonely. He followed John the Baptist and he wanted to be baptized to feel closer. So he wasn't just born sparkling, clean, white perfection, except in the way that we're all sparkling, clean, white perfection. And he woke up to that reality. What does that make you think? I talk too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was tying it to what you were saying about your ego being in the game is, is what made me think of it. You know what I mean? So we can't disavow our humanity. Yeah. yeah there's like this weird, like my, um, my like post Christian, spiritual growth um, has this sort of paradox in it because like coming from the Christian world, I, there's so much, what I was taught was like based in the idea of shame, essentially, you know, we were operating on this baseline that like, there's something wrong with you. Yes. And that's where it starts. And so, um, and then on top of that, you know, they pile like humility and like, so that means make yourself small and don't think anything of yourself and you can't be close to God and all of those things. And can I add to that, Danny? Let me know if you agree. The transmission was over. Divine revelation happened for a time and now it's stopped and we're sort of just playing house until we can go to heaven. But this is all bullshit, right? Did you- and, yeah. And worshiping Jesus, which is where it happened. Right. But it's it's not it's not happening anymore. The only thing that's happening is you're bad for watching uh, Die Hard, or you're bad for masturbating, or you're bad for swearing, or smoking, or drinking, or fucking, or right? I, yeah. I think we had a similar experience. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, a lot of my a lot of my spiritual growth has to do with me like being able to love myself and think well of myself again. You know, that's where a lot of my growth has to happen. And so, um, it's just, yeah, it becomes this, like the farther I go in that direction, the more of that love that I can give myself, then it's like, I have to feel that in order to feel worthy of the story that like, I'm also connected to whatever you think of as God or like this higher power, higher intelligence. And that I'm connected to all things. Like I can't get there through a wounded ego, ego, excuse me. Mm -hmm. I can't get there through a wounded ego. I have to get there through self-love and self-acceptance. And so that's how, that's how I access, you know, that greater sense of love. And so, um, yeah. So I have to think well of myself. I have to, you know, I have to bring that in. That's my connection point. Isn't that straight? We never got that. Go ahead, Zach. I just, um, you were talking about the story of Jesus and him being a human entity as well as completely divine as we all are. And I uh, just transparently, I haven't given much consideration to to his story in quite a while mm. um, <clears throat> because of that foundation, which it sounds like we were all given 
it was hard for me to look at him without seeing through many frames, which I was given. And, um, there's a, there's a pang of apathy in me about his story right now, which I'm not certainly not qualifying. That as a good thing. Um, but I, I see, I see him as like the historical events recorded in that book, in the Bible, that collection of writings. I, um, my experience of those writings right now is that underneath their historical actor accuracy, there are beautiful things to hold on to. Mm. And so you mentioned his baptism and I think the what spinny spall is what some radio transmission just came through. We've had this happen before. I hope that this is so eerie and weird and guess what this it's like when something goes wrong in a concert it's the only part you'll remember so this happened one time when i was recording a demo i don't know what to do about that because i think it's the interface that's picking it up (laughs) but it only lasts for a couple minutes usually i hope so we'll just wait for it to go away uh yeah, we'll just carry on for the moment, I guess. Let's um, be the dude. We'll 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 be non-resistant. I just really hope he doesn't start getting weird. <laughs> I really hope this doesn't get super personal. I'm I'm also fascinated. It's it's like yeah. that voyeurism of like this guy doesn't know we can hear him, although he does know he's broadcasting. Yeah, he has yeah. to. I was making a demo one time, and it was really. It was beautiful. It was this little MIDI string arpeggio thing. It sounded kind of like a bittersweet symphony music bed is what it made me feel like. It didn't sound like it, but it felt like that. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this guy started talking or somebody like it, and I tracked it. And it was the eeriest, most beautiful thing over the top of this like tr- sulky European <laughs> music. It was this guy saying, you know, I don't think she's coming back. <laughs> well, it's happening now. You're yeah. telling me about your wound, and I hear the ache in it because I, I I had that too. I was like, I don't know how to reconcile. Yeah, my childhood love of these stories, and then just everything that it was used to take from me, like mm-hmm. to take my birthright, really, like to take my birthright away from me. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. What? Please keep on that. Yeah, where was I? I just, uh, I, there is more room for me to explore my mother tongue again, which is something I think that Richard talks about. We just want to know why'd you do it. <laughs> well, why'd you do it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> just want to know why'd you do it. Uh, so I don't, um, I don't feel like I have much integrity to talk about his story at this point in my 32 year old self. Um, yeah. Outside of the, the, how colored it has been for me. Well, was it, was it a, uh, a, a, I don't want to say Trump card, <laughs> but I think we still have that term mm. in your music. I have the lyrics to looking for love, which I, it's just, it's just a, it's a game changer. It's an unbelievable song. Thank you. And you say, my brother can't see me even when I look in his eye. 
my friend, she don't hear me when she thinks she's right. I know you know these lyrics. I'm saying it for everyone else. <laughs> Sorry, I, that was too apologetic even for me. Um, as if you didn't know. Uh, that was, I relate to that so hard, and maybe this speaks to some of your reluctance to get back in that mix, which, by the way, I, I, I'm fine either way, obviously, is that we used it as a way to end conversations. <laughs> we used it as a way to... You talk about um, di building, uh, digging post holes, putting up fences, putting up lines. And when you have that, there he is. Um, to use a line from one, two, you say, I played the teacher. There he is. I love him. The preacher, maintaining posture, speaking, uh, separating me and you, as if the thoughts of God were mine and mine to speak. Is that kind of talking about? your relationship to Christianity was like, I know, like I was a 17 year old going around. I know, I know. Is that, that's how I relate to it. I'm wondering. What... Yes. I, um, a lot of the mentor figures in my life, uh, when I was experiencing curiosity as a kid, uh, especially as it related to spiritual or uh, religious, uh, ideas, I was often met with, quite a hard stop at the end of a verse. Um, and so I learned that uh, fact was much more important than curiosity and facts that uh, honestly, I felt like a hard stop where there should be some space to move around. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that is my response to that. Yeah. I, cause that was, Refinish. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Mike's like when it all started to fall apart for me was uh, like that exactly what Zach is saying, just that inability to ask questions, like questions being met with, you know, uh, fear, essentially being shut down out of fear, you know, and so much of that, so much of that teaching and that language was used to kind of like cut off connection or growth or life, you know, all these things that they were trying to, to, um, engender, or at least that was the larger idea was that that was, we were, what we were going for. Um, right. There was, um, when it came down to actually connecting person to person, you know, there was so much in the way, there were so many barriers in the way of that, that had to do with the way that the dogma, you know, said that you should be thinking and handling these concepts and yeah, and I I know that on an intellectual level, I understand that those people who were shaping me <clears throat> were on some level experiencing a substantial amount of fear, whether they knew it or not, you know, like their inability to go there with me was their inability to go there themselves, right. I suppose. Right. And so I, there's a bit of empathy or compassion in me now looking back on my experience. Absolutely. But I, uh, I think I still... Um, that's just a, there's just dissonance in me still about revisiting uh, where I came from because of those experiences that I've had. And it's actually nice to talk about this out loud because it's not something, I've been in so many other worlds. I've been in the worlds of of Richard and um, Alan Watts recently. And uh, I, uh, you know, I'm semi-familiar with Ram Dass and just watched his lovely little documentary the other day and um, I just find so much more space 
and transparency in different places than where I came from. And um, yeah, it's nice to talk about this because I still feel a dismissing of something that feels not like part of a whole. Like I'm not including that as part of my story as, as I could. I think. He sounds like a nice guy. Um, <laughs> you know him? No. no. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Joseph Campbell, who when I, my story in three lines, I was evangelical. I got married when I was 22. My wife left me and I lost my faith, right? Mm -hmm. And then in that spaciousness that was so scary, <laughs> it's funny I've having done, I won't forget my Joseph Campbell quote because I think you'll right. like it. But having done, like, <laughs> having done 400 uh, or so episodes of this, years after the fact, sometimes I'll think of an episode and I'll try and think of a moment or something somebody said or something. Yeah. So something goofy like this <laughs> gives the episode added stickiness to stay. I'm not just spinning spinning it to be positive, but I'll be like, oh, yeah, Bird Talker. That was the one where there was a guy talking about putting chains on his tires. Is it snowing where you are? Yeah, we got an ice storm happening. Yeah, ice is falling from the sky here. Oh, my God. Which is – so this, this person is out there helping, I hope, in some way and hurting in another way. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Joseph Campbell says you should um, – it's a very good thing to leave your religion and study other religions. As you, you know, with Alan Watts, Zen Buddhism, Ram Dass is sort of Hindu and all that other stuff. And then he says you can – because then it gives you eyes to come back. This is an optional move. But when you come back, you can actually see your religion for the first time, basically. Because what I hear, what I hear us talking about is – it was a shield. It was a way to stop talking about infinity. It was a, a way to stop talking about the mystery that the three of us, Katie, the four of us, are currently, I don't want to say entrapped because that sounds negative, but we're currently encased in. We don't know what's happening. It's confusing. It's mysterious. And then religion, uh, as I experienced it, and it sounds like a little bit here too, was a way of stopping the conversation right it was like well where where did all this come from uh it was god's will and the, and the, and it was like a cock block it was a big cock block and then uh what about when we die well jesus died and all you have to do is this and, the, and then you're good so it sounds like tell me what happened you were raised then and when did the questioning start for each of you or when did you start breaking into like wider spaces I think for me, the first question was um, informed by a lot of people around me believing in a very literal uh, afterlife of heaven and hell. And how just by uh, exploring that. <clears throat> with, that was kind of an apropos one. Get out of here, literal heaven and hell. Get out of here. Uh, it's just believing in that reality I, I started to think about that and it was every decision at that point is made from a place of fear, like whether you know it or not, because if you make a good decision, it's automatically informed by not wanting to go somewhere when you die mm -hmm. uh, on some level. 
And if you make a decision that's symbiotic or helpful, like that's because you want something later on. Mm -hmm. And that felt like a very strange dynamic to live inside of. And I think that was the beginning for me of uh, expanded curiosity. Oh, friends, we're back. Uh, I do want to say that MeUndies is the sponsor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> MeUndies very well may be the sponsor, but uh, there's no ads in the, in the uh, show. Um, boy, I can I just reset a little bit and yeah, say, I... yes, we, we're, we're, we're diving in. And I just want to go back to like listening to the music. I, I went and peed outside because we have a two-year-old. She's with our, our wonderful um, babysitter. And just being outside, I was just like, wow, my heart is just so open. <laughs> it just goes back to spending the morning with the music. I will not forget to go back to spiritual stuff. But why don't you tell me a little bit about the idea that the band started is this right? Six months since your marriage, you had never been in a band. Why don't you, why don't you tell that story a little bit just to put us on earth a little bit before we jump off? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was a, just a for fun songwriter. And I, I took piano lessons when I was young and <clears throat> grew up in the church singing harmony and music was just a thread throughout my life. I played trumpet and violin and I moved from Seattle to Nashville when I was starting high school. And uh, long story short, my parents Google searched Christian schools and Bible Belt and got an information packet about a school in Nashville and a video we visited shortly after that and then moved down six months after so they could send us to that school. And uh, Wait, you didn't have a vote? No, I didn't really have a vote at all. Uh, neither did I have a sister as well. And we just sort of were along for the ride. I think they uh, they felt an absence of the kind of conservative culture that they wanted for us and the family uh, in Seattle. And so they made that choice. Uh, oh, wow. But, I, I went to a Christian college and I would meet people like you. They were like, this is the only school my parents would pay for. Like, And they, and they thought I was insane that I just chose... I could have gone anywhere. And I was like at this sort of conservative school yeah. and did, did, was that a resentful moment or were you kind of still in line with your parents' wishes at that point? Oh, I was still very afraid overall, even though I didn't know it. So I, it was just whatever they wanted. And um, it was also a natural, for me, it was a natural transition because I was going to go to a different school anyway, leaving middle school. And so I don't, I don't remember like an emotional imprint of that season being traumatic except for the fact that it was hard to break into this school socially. And so I, uh, my mom had this classical guitar and that was definitely my best friend for my first two years of high school. You know, I just learned myself went online and learned tablature and listened by ear and tried to mimic. And, um, anyway, that carried on through high school and college. And I started playing coffee shops with friends and it was a, an incredibly casual zero ambition sort of creative space for me to just exist. Mm. I, I, sorry, Zach, I'm going to slow you down. It's, it's what yeah. I like to do because your story is more interesting to me than it is to you. You've told it before. Sure. But it's, it, it reminds me of Danny smoking. Actually. I, I had a classical guitar and there's something about those soft strings, <laughs> you know, and, and being alone. Like some, I had a four track and, and, and my parents 
still don't really get along perfectly, and but especially back then. And going into the garage and recording music was like something you could do by yourself. The reason why I tie this back to you, Danny, and this and this is not judgmental. It might the language might sound it, but the I had a therapist tell me that the core belief of of, of smokers is I'm alone. They want to be alone. <laughs> they want they want that time. Sort of like what we were saying. Similar, you were afraid you didn't know it. You didn't really know what you wanted, but like you had this sanctuary of the music. I mean, is is that right? It was this sort of it sort of saved you in this way to have something that you could do alone, like smoking. Yeah, yeah it was like I said, it felt like a a relationship because there was it was giving me so much while I was participating in it too. And yes. I yeah, it was I guess it did kind of save me. I could point to anything really else at that point in my life where I was feeling nurtured, really. And I hope this isn't too outer space, but I mentioned that I'm an achiever, the Enneagram three, and they say nature is very important for an achiever because nature is beautiful regardless of your input. You know, like it just, a sunset doesn't ask you to be spectacular before it will show itself to you. And I have to think a guitar is the same feeling. It's like, you're again, no judgment to your parents, but in that early stage, you were in like a transactional period. Like you, you do this because you go to heaven. You don't want to go to hell. And then a guitar, a guitar doesn't ask like, wait a minute. Did you wash those hands in purified holy water? Like, are you worthy of the haunting a minor chord up in your, I'm picturing you in your attic. Like, did you do it? Like, like it, it, it comes back to the soul. Like, have you earned the gift and the guitar doesn't say it like the, the, a serial killer could play an a minor and, and a saint could play an a minor. It, it's just this like loving, you said relationship and I'm relating to that. A drum yeah. gives to you without asking. That's our, a beautiful way of articulating that. And that's, yeah, that's what it provides. I could, I could hold it upside down and play it with the back of my hand and it wouldn't have an opinion, you know, like it, yeah. I could do anything and yeah. there was so much freedom and the ability for me to explore that uh, I couldn't not keep going back to it. Mm. Uh, it was one of the first places that I experienced that feeling, I think. And feeling, isn't oh, the feeling? feeling of just being with something in complete transparency and honesty. Yes. And being a for fun songwriter, I've had other musicians be like, tell me, that's sort of the purest place. You know what I mean? You're, you're not doing it to get to rock star heaven. You're like, we say the same thing about comedy. If you're doing it to be famous, if you're doing it to even meet, meet people, have sex is what I mean. Um, or be rich, like you're garbage, you're gone. Like there's exceptions to that, of course, but for the most part, the earnestness of the pursuit is sort of important. So it doesn't surprise me that somebody that was a for fun songwriter ended up writing music worthy of, 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 you know, being heard because, mm. right. I mean, it, it's a, it's earnest. It, it doesn't, you weren't doing it like, boy, I'd like to get out of here. I'm going to try and write songs like the Rolling Stones so I can, you know, tour stadiums or whatever. Yeah. That was not a part of my experience at all. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, coming out of college, uh, I met Danny through, one of my best friends and uh, we hit it off very quickly. 
think she played a word on top of a word I played on the game Upwards. I remember Upwards. In a social gathering. and the moment you fell in love. Well, that was the moment that I felt like I could move toward you, I think. Wait, what was it? What was it about the the play? Like, oh well, there was, the board was open. You know, the board was open. She could have played anywhere. She could have played on the far left on another word. <laughs> I, played, I thought you were wanting to. You thought it was an invitation. I thought it was an invitation. I think it was about the move that I could make on the board. Yeah, but I can still. But have it got us experience. here. We got us here. Yeah. <laughs> That is so funny. When Val and I talk about meeting, our stories are completely different. And it wasn't even that long ago. And I'm like, and then I said, so I, I relate to this. I love this. So we, uh, when we first got married, we lived in a really small apartment, uh, not too far from where we are now. And I would often write for fun again. And she's a, she's just a brilliant English major. Um, with a, a wonderful vocabulary and intellect. And I, I asked her for help on a song and uh, something that I think would have taken me quite a bit longer. It took us about 20 or 30 minutes to finish. And it was this really cathartic, wonderful uh, feeding off of each other's experience experience. And we just kept doing it. Danny, uh, at that point, had you wanted, here he is kind of tinkering and, Obviously, you're very musical, but did you have like a unspoken desire to join in the process, or is this as a big a surprise to you as it was to him? Yeah, it was. My desire was so unspoken that I didn't even know that I had it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I grew up kind of similar to Zach, like took piano lessons. I knew how to play, but um, it wasn't really anything I'd ever developed for myself. That relationship to music. Um, to explore it for myself, even though I grew up, my dad's a songwriter and my older brother is now as well. And so I grew up around it and with this very deep relationship to music and love for it. And, um, you know, it gave me, I felt so much more like emotionally connected to music. And like, I got so much more insight from music than I did in like my, the religious settings that I was in, you know, yeah, where sure. to find things like that. Um, and so I had that connection to it, but I just, I wasn't thinking of it as something that I, I could do. I don't know. I just, I hadn't opened that door for myself yet. So, um, so yeah, so, I was very, at the time that Zach invited me to do this, I was very hesitant, you know, and <laughs> nervous about, uh, my, my ability to do it, I guess. It just wasn't something I'd opened up. Hmm. Yeah, we were the same in that respect. I think we were both babies. Yeah, and afraid, but afraid babies. Yeah, curious. like I was twenty-one when we got married, so young married, coming out of Christianity, and I was just kind of a kind of a mess. Yeah, but, uh, I was twenty-two when I got married the first time, but yeah. so that was again I, indoctrinated. Sounds like a, a bad word, but like you were definitely on that track. <laughs> Did you go to a Christian college as well, Danny? Um, no, I went to a Christian middle school and high school, a small private, starting in sixth grade through 12th grade. So that was probably my biggest dose of all of that. And then um, I went to UT Knoxville, so kind of went the opposite direction from there. Um, so, But then you still 
got married incredibly young. I got married incredibly young because I was waiting. This is a personal question. Feel free to dodge it. But I, I didn't want to have sex until I was married. Is that in the mix? Yeah, that was very much in the mix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that in the mix? <laughs> it was like we wanted to live together. We were like, we're ready to like keep going with our relationship. And that was just the only storyline we had about how that could happen was like, okay, we get married now. So we couldn't relate more. It was, I feel like I was an automaton, you know, like now we, now we do this. This is the next step. So that's what we did. Yeah. Well, that's, the, that's like that. What is the name of the song? It's kind of a complicated auto, auto. Yeah. Auto domesticated animal. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Because the the line that I really related to in that, it's an epiphany whether it's religious or otherwise. When you realize when you're talking to someone, you're sort of talking to their past. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you're talking to their parents, especially when you're in high school. You're talking to somebody and they have like a strong opinion. Nine times out of ten, it seemed like they got that from their family. Like they're they're pretending to have an opinion, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it seems like you guys were sort of like, had this maybe very, 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 very deep subconscious desire to break away and, and find your own way, but you didn't even know that. And to get together, you had to play within the lines to get outside of the lines. Even if you didn't know that you wanted to be outside of the lines, you're like, well, we're going to be together. Let's get married. Is, is, is this in the realm of your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels like a pretty good synopsis of it. Yeah, because yeah. we were—I wasn't really pushing boundaries at that point. You know? No, we were just kind of going going along with it. It wasn't until after we got married that I think things started to fall apart for me in terms of like the the dogma that I was given. Um, yeah, so when you we got married? I was a worship minister at we a church. Leading, yeah. <laughs> We were like still very much deep in it. Yeah, like every Sunday, standing with a solitary microphone and a suit, waving my arm around to a thousand people every week, wow. singing these songs that I didn't really understand. Wow. But yeah, it was a very floaty season of my life. Well, this is fascinating because what what was it, Danny, that sort of started to turn the water in another direction, and then how did you break it? to Zach. And then Zach, how did you take it? I mean, this is huge stuff. This is the stuff of Greek gods fighting. It's a big deal. <laughs> Internal stuff. Tell me that. Tell me everything. Yeah. It was Richard. So it really was Richard. Um, it was a friend of Zach's showed us, um, I think the naked now was the first book that I read of Richard's. And so my, it was like my, my experience in the religious world was just full of that cognitive dissonance and a lot of tension that I just, I hadn't taken the time to like put the focus on it and understand what was really going on there. And then reading Richard's words was just like, um, you know, gives you that freedom to put language around something that you haven't had language around before just kind Mm. of breaks you open and frees you. And so, um, yeah, Richard was the beginning of that downfall for me. And then, and did you keep that a secret for a while? I mean, you're basically having an affair. You know what I mean? Like a spiritual. And I've talked to a lot of people like this, friends and on the podcast, where you, it's almost like an inconvenient, um, you caught something. You caught like a disease. And now you have, you're a zombie now. And you're like, am I going to bite Zach? 
Yeah. Is he going to let me bite him or is he going to shoot me with a shotgun? Like, this is real. Did it feel like that? Were you scared? I felt that way in other relationships. I don't remember feeling that way with Zach. Um, Cause we were kind of reading it at the same time. I mean, Grant passed it to you and you passed it to me. So it was something that you were delving into at the same time. Yeah. I was, I was uh, experiencing Richard around the same time as Danny and a little bit before yeah, my friend Grant Pollock, he, uh, he introduced me to the, just the daily meditation email. Uh, and I signed up for it and started getting those and was pretty upset by them at first because it was a very different space to receive that kind of information, that spiritual information from Christianity. And I, uh, all the while working at that church and being a part of a community of people who were, you know, afraid of, I love them. I learned so much from that experience and I, they are really incredibly good humans, you know, but I, I was just a part of a lot of meetings and otherwise where I experienced a lot of fear and, uh, just, yeah, mostly fear, like decisions in a, in a boardroom where, um, maybe I was trying to bring an idea to the worship service that was a little bit more, uh, open, less conservative. And it would be met with, you know, we, we've really got to ease into that because if we didn't, if we implemented that quickly, we would lose this family and this family and this family. And, uh, that was a, I didn't like that. (laughs) I didn't like making decisions from that space. So yeah. Anyway, I, my experience with Richard and then the duality of leading worship uh, in that church was so strange. And I, I, co- I coped with it by, I lived in a house with three of my best friends at the time and I would, I would smoke so much marijuana and I would <laughs> drink so much alcohol. And I, you know, one, I remember one experience where I took shrooms at like 11 at night and the next day I was going to work and I was still like, gritting my teeth in the prayer meeting in the morning. Whoa. Such a strange time, man. And I had, I ended up quitting, uh, grace, graciously and thankfully to them, you know, for the experience and what I learned and that whole experience, I feel like I'm talking quite a bit, but I, in that time of being a worship minister, I was also their audio visual technician and was doing the slideshows and, uh, at one point I was asked to make a video and I didn't know how to do that. Uh, but I said, yes. And I made a video for them, which led to me making another video for the school that I was going to, or I had gone to, uh, which led to another video, which led to Danny and I starting a videography business, which sustained us while we were writing music. Wow. And that's at the point where that income from the videography company was enough to take care of our basic needs was when I, I quit the job at the church. Um, wow. That's really interesting. You're getting too, I mean, you're saying it without saying it, you're getting this uh, gift while you're also being burdened. <laughs> like I, I, I couldn't relate more. Church is where I first did stand up. You know, it, I didn't call it stand up, but like here I was feeling that same cognitive dissonance is what you said, Danny. And when I first got married, that's when I started drinking. And like looking back, I've never even really considered it. I was drinking because I couldn't take the tension of like, yeah. I think my waiter 
is going to hell. Like I couldn't, I couldn't right. take it. Yeah. I couldn't take it. So yeah. of course it's actually more loving that you were getting fucked up all the time. Yeah. Because if you were just stone cold sober going like, this is fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I'm worried about you. Like yeah. that really just cracked my brain open. I, I totally, totally relate. I was when you were tripping on mushrooms and you went into church, that was that incredibly frightening or did it go the other way? And you were like, wow, this is beautiful. Or like, uh, it felt, so I was like, I was on the come down, you know, I yeah. was still tripping, but I do remember feeling like that was the moment when I knew I had to make a shift. Uh, and I didn't know the timeline of that. It wasn't that I was going to quit that day, but, uh, the dissonance between my, two experiences of being home and with these people who are creative and insightful and asking questions that were safe. And then this world I was living in where I felt like there were so many, uh, boundaries. Yeah. Um, it's a game was, of operation. Everything, yeah, everything like, makes the nose light up. It felt like that clarity is what was offered to me at the tail end of that trip was, um, just a calm knowing that this was the season was coming to an end soon. Cause that's a heavy thing. That's a heavy energy. The mushroom in my experience has no interest in playing games or anything like it doesn't, I mean, it plays certain types of mischievous games, but it, it doesn't have the value of social games. So if you bring this like hard cutting truth thing into and I don't mean this uh, condescendingly, but into a puppet show, a board, a board meeting is a puppet show and I'm the elder and he's the guy and the mushroom is just going, Zach, yeah. Zach, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> there, was, there was also this really lovely feeling of, uh, and I don't mean this condescendingly, but like, oh, yeah. Oh, look at these people trying. They're just trying to do their best. I, I know that. Yeah. It was like, uh, I felt connected and disconnected at the same time from that experience. Um, so yeah, but <laughs> I did definitely have the nudge from the psilocybin saying, what, what, <laughs> what, yeah. is, what is this? And how can you be more aligned in your life? It's funny when I've taken psychedelics just to, make it very clear that we're not being condescending. I, I mm -hmm. hope. Yeah. When I take in psychedelics recent, uh, you know, in the past years or whatever, when I'm in that place, I have that feeling about me and all my Richie and all my Alan Watts and all my Ram Dass. I, it goes, Oh, like, look at how hard earth Pete is trying. Yes. And, it, and it actually, it thinks it's beautiful. It thinks it matters. Yes. It's like, that matters. It's not it, but God, look, it, it almost like it's adorable, but not in a condescending way. It's like, Oh, he read the naked now. That's adorable. It's, it's a cat hanging on a branch and it says, hang in there. And then when you're in a place of unitive consciousness or even just a mild dose and your heart is open and you're really feeling things that you can't articulate, you go like, good, good for you, Pete. Like that's as good as you can do on that plane. So I know, I know what you're talking about. And I still have that about myself. Yeah. So, so keep, keep on where you're at. You're, you're about to, Danny's about to be like, or you're both about to 
you're both having this sort of breakaway. Yeah, and this, what was the first song we wrote that we were, I don't remember, really. Uh, me either. I, I know that writing songs turned into, it may have been Blue Healer. It may have been that song. All of these songs that came on our first project came from the pain and the frustration and sadness and grief and curiosity from this process. All. Mm. Uh, and there was no other motivation than to metabolize those experiences in, in those songs. And we didn't even have any intention of sharing them. <laughs> you know, yeah. they weren't for anybody. And uh, a friend, a dear friend named Andy, we, we shared them with him one day. I think he was over at our apartment and he was like, hmm, okay, let's play together. Let's like, can I beat a drum to this? <laughs> we, of course, were f- afraid and didn't want to, but we did because it felt like, you know, a compass to move towards a new thing. Uh, and we did that for a while, a few months. If I can inter- if I can interject, because uh, I don't yeah. think you'll f- you you won't forget a linear story, but I think you'll no. enjoy this. Be here now. The story of that the, the book is very similar. Meaning Ramdas was doing talks because he had to. You know what I mean? Yeah. He he wasn't trying to be a, a speaker per se. And then people started um, getting the tapes, and then they would transcribe them, and then they'd give them the transcription, and then he'd open the trunk of his car, and someone would say, "What's that?" And it'd say, oh, someone transcribed my talks. And they'd say, can I edit it? This is literally what happened, like your friend. And then they'd edit it. And then someone would say, I'm an artist. What is that? Oh, someone edited my talks. And they'd say, can I put it in an interesting typeface? And that's how the book happened. Wow. And when people get that trite advice, it sounds trite. Of like people say they want to be a comedian uh, or whatever. That happens very rarely. But if it did or when it has. (laughs) You say you need to do the thing that like literally gets you out of bed. Like it wakes you up in the middle of the night. Like it's something you're, you're uh, metabolizing this heavy dose of life and the process that you need to break it down is the music. It's the same with, with uh, comedy or other types of art. It's, it's a, you know, it, it's like kind of like falling in love and then it starts to happen organically forgive me for quoting myself but i always say follow the dream that's following you so you were doing what you needed to do because art is not about making a living it's about expressing yourself and and doing what you need to do to have some fucking peace right yeah. like you're 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 suffering and it feels good to tell jokes or to write a song and then it's these little winks from the universe. I'm not saying everything always works out this way, but a friend hearing it and being like, can I play drums with this? That just feels like flow. I'm all, it's like, let's not, let's not go, oh, my culture values rock stars. I'll be a rock star. The, the place of quiet integrity of like, I just wrote these songs because I'm hurting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, and make no mistake, I'm, I'm saying silly, happy stuff. But there's usually something I'm trying to salve in there. I'm trying to say, like, I'm in pain. And even if it doesn't come out that way, it comes out of some dumb joke. I'm just going, are you there? Do you hear me? Do you see the world too? Yeah. And when they laugh, I go, oh, you, you're you're here. Or when the music comes together, oh, you're here too. It's so much it, – it should feel natural. I'm just – 
thinking of people listening that want to play music, they want to do comedy, they want to do a lot of things. There's an organic nature to it that I'm hearing in the story that is always a good guidepost or a breadcrumb on the trail, right? It, it, it sort of, it wants to be, it wants to be. Yeah. yeah, that was a beautiful way of articulating that. And I couldn't uh, relate more to following those breadcrumbs and that feeling so like there's no other, there's nothing else that feels as good to me than finding those little waypoints along the way uh, or them finding you and then following them and it realizing it's a, it's a gateway to walk into a completely different space that you never could have thought of. Mm. Uh, so that, yeah, that's just continued, man. The, that story has continued. We, we played a show. Uh, uh, we opened for a Shakespearean play in a park with me and Danny and I and Andy. And uh, at that show was one of my sister's friends who is a guitarist. Um, and he asked if he could jam with us. <laughs> and I was horrified. Cause I don't know how to jam. I just know how to play root chords and strum. And we jammed together for the better part of a year in a bedroom of our drummer just sat there and played. Wow. Fashioned these songs. And it got to the point where Brian was the guitarist's name is the guitarist's name. And uh, he was becoming so frustrated at us for not playing shows that he, I don't think he actually, I remember it as an ultimatum, but I don't think it was, I think it was kinder. But he mostly just said, we've got to do something. Like, mm. I'm I'm a professional musician, and I'm not just going to play in a bedroom anymore. And so... <laughs> I wonder what his Enneagram is. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know either. I don't know if he's taking the test. I hope he's a three. I, I always want the threes to... I'm the guy that I talk to you guys for 20 minutes, and I'm like, there's a documentary here. You know what I mean? Like, that, that energy can be helpful to the pure artists, you know? Yeah, yeah. God, that energy is so helpful. It's, it's, in, it's, <laughs> it's uh, uh, important. It's so important yes. for the way that we, you and I naturally are. Our dispositions are, yeah. are fashioned by that kind of help and yeah. support. Uh, I love that yeah, story. We ended up playing shows. We ended up playing shows, a bunch of shows in Nashville, uh, ended up recording the song, like the five songs that we had written with one of my friends from high school who I had never connected with, but we ended up connecting at a, at a church that we were, Danny and I were exploring different places to go to see if anything felt good, like dipping our toe back into that world and, uh, ended up meeting this guy there and we reconnected and recorded these songs and, um, weren't even planning on releasing them. It was just for friends and family and, I think we made a video of a song. My lover was the song that we made a video for. We put it on the internet on our, you know, 300 follower Instagram and, uh, got a message from a man named Nate Yetten. Uh, I didn't know who he was, but he said we should get coffee. And Nate Yetten, after Googling him, I became very flushed because he had been the manager of the band, the civil wars, uh, who I think in the last 24 months had just won four Grammys and it was in a completely different echelon of music world that I had not even encountered yet. And so we got coffee with Nate and by the end of the meeting, we essentially were being managed by him. 
we created a plan to release the music. We released it. And in the first month, the song Heavy had a million streams. And we were just slack-jawed looking at what was happening. What do, you, what do you account that to? I mean, there's a lot of... I know this is a this is a whole seminar. There's a whole course at a college. But like, yeah. you... Heavy is a great song. I love that song. And it has a great video. Um, but there's a lot of great songs that people upload onto Spotify and who who cares? <laughs> like I I don't. There's something missing. Not that I'm not saying you're withholding it. I don't know what's going on. Was it the time? Was it less flooded? Uh, was that part of it? I think that's part of it. I think playlisting was a big part of it. Getting placed on playlists. Yeah, and, and playlisting was sort of blossoming in 2015, 2016. Yeah, and. Um, the distributor that we had, our friend Sean Fowler of Tone Tree, he he knew um, some of the editors of the playlists mm. that were on Spotify and Apple, and was friends with them. Uh, and that doesn't mean that they'll get on the playlists, you know. But he sent it their way and said these yeah. are great people, I guess. And uh, just yeah, to so- just to soften that scoring a TV show, just because you know me, I still have to play the song for 30 people and it has to be approved by this and this and this. Like it, it was not a guarantee. Otherwise crashing would have just been my friends. I couldn't get the national on crashing. Uh, they're, they're my favorite band. And, and I was always like, you know, the national would be great here. Not that they need it, but like, I just want to shine a light on what you're saying. Cause it could yeah. be misinterpreted as like, Oh, they knew somebody fuck no. that shit. Heavy is no. a great song. It's like a very special song. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And yeah, you. with all that playlisting, it was people interacted with it in a way that was, you know, people were saving it and interacting with it, which I think helped. I don't know how the algorithm works, but yeah, of course. helping with there was just know, data. The, the message connected with people, leaving things that were unnecessary. I think that that came from a that song came from a that was a very like sexually based song for me. Like I have, so I had so much baggage of feeling restricted and a lack of freedom in that space that that's where those lyrics came from. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that that song just connected with people in a way that was unpredictable and it was saved and shared and put on more playlists. And can you speak to that? Cause that's how I, I, I felt that listening to it this morning. Um, we have so much, animal shame. Yeah. I I always make this point, but like, if you want to know, if you don't believe that we have shame, like look to everybody poops. Like it starts from being a child. Like someone needs to tell you that it's normal that you poop. And then like with, with, with the way, the type of Christianity that we were raised in, if my book is all about, there's so many masturbation stories in my book. It's embarrassing or it should be embarrassed, except I'm like, sorry, that, that was my sex life. And I was worried that Jesus was going to come while I was coming like that. That was my, that was my concern. And then you ingest that shame. And and I feel that in the lyrics, but what specifically, because it is such a great song. I think people would love to know a little bit more. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like any other, there was no sexual mirroring for me in my entire life, really, except for the very detached media depictions. And then this very stoic, reserved, secret 
private, special, save-for-later sexuality in my day-to-day with the mentors I had. So there was this chasm between the two that, first of all, one wasn't even real and the other one wasn't even real. So I had, I had no reference point for what healthy sexuality was. Uh, that sounds like a large, large thing to say, but it feels true. I don't want to hyperbolically speak, but I, yeah, so I. Oh, I know. Can I just, I know exactly what you mean. So many people I knew waited to get married thinking that we would just start having great sex. I'm I'm not trying to, I know, not dozens. I know a half dozen Christian couples that on their wedding night couldn't fuck. (laughs) They couldn't do it. What are you going to do? Your whole life you were told that was the worst thing you could do. And I know there was a dress and there was a ring, but when you're getting married, you guys got married, you see that you're just people in a room. It's not, yeah. it's not the, the Tinkerbell doesn't fly by and, and tap you. And on my own wedding night, our sex was terrible. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't be vulnerable and, and, and join with somebody. Nobody had told me that God or truth or mystery could be present in the bedroom. I was going like, Oh, I'm masturbating inside somebody. She she can't see this. This is this is shameful. So again, like getting drunk for reasons we don't know. I was having short sex for reasons I didn't know. It wasn't because it was so hot. It was because we needed to get it over with. I, this is bad. Yeah. And we need. I, I. It's not just self indulgent to tell those stories. There's lots and lots and lots of people with religious, earnest, good people that can relate to that. So I just wanted to encourage you. No, thank you, Pete. Yeah, I, and that was our experience. I think our wedding night, I remember having sex on our wedding night, and I don't remember being sad. Well, we had sex before that. We did have sex before that. We had it a handful of times. Same with me. And then we stopped. Oh, that was another. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, yeah, and then it was like a month before the wedding, and we were like, Is that what you, that's <laughs> Let's do this the right way. Oh we, did this, right. we did the same thing. We did the same thing. It's going to be so good when we get yeah. there. Yeah, and then I, the honeymoon was just a nightmare. Honeymoon was a nightmare. I also remember this is fun. I, Why? I remember going, like, leading worship at one service and there being, like, a 45-minute break and then driving back to my house, having sex with Danny, going back to the second service and leading <laughs> worship. <laughs> oh, it was so funny reflecting on that. That's wow. great. What was the feeling though? Was it like you you just were so excited that you were in the clear to have sex or like why were you ha- uh, having a sex break in between? It was before we were married and I it was the feeling like I was making a choice uh outside of what other people may be thinking or feeling about me. It was yep. the the exorcism of choice. And isn't it funny, can you relate, my relationship with the divine now feels so much more like a partner that I sneak off to have sex with than it does the God that I was worshiping in the church. It feels like a seductress. It feels like a delicious secret. It feels like a partner that's always waiting for me to just sync up with it. So that feels like God to me more than being the smiley you can imagine look how smiley i am now church pete was like khakis and you know the polo shirt or whatever it was isn't it weird that nobody told me that god could feel like a lover that that truth could feel like a lover that that truth could feel um salacious or or sec or or smoky or whatever you want to say yeah yeah i love that yeah but yeah our honeymoon was a disaster we uh (laughs) 
Why? We went to Jamaica and it was a long flight. And we well, got, I think it was just so frustrating. It was very frustrating. It was just so fresh. I mean, just like what you were talking about, like you, you have no experience. You don't get acquainted with your sexuality in any real way. And then you just go, you know, you're supposed to fuck for a week and yeah. try to pretend like everything's fine. And oh, God. it was not satisfying sex, you know, and then. I think it was probably my fault. I think I ruined it because I was just so angry. I got, I was really angry on our honeymoon because mm. I was like, I did it right. Yeah. I waited as long as I could. I'm doing it the right way. And now it's supposed to be great. And it's not great. And like, I'm not in tune with my body. This doesn't feel good. It's not anything like anybody told me it was going to be. And I don't know how to make it better i don't have a relationship with this thing and with my own body and and pleasure to be able to know how to make it better so i just it was that feeling of like being duped you know i couldn't relate more (laughs) and i being married at 22 i had the opportunity to tell my other christian friends like it's not it's not it's not what you were told like it's this weird thing i don't mean sex itself i mean all of the 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 feelings and the thoughts about it and I remember very vividly telling my friend, I was like, I thought it would be like a Disney movie and everything would go into Technicolor. And I told him, and it was a very vulnerable thing to share. Like, I've been duped. We've been duped. And he said, no wonder, dude, we don't drink more. Like, like it's, it's crazy that we weren't drinking constantly. The amount of mental gymnastics we were trying to do to bend reality over what we were told it should be because i said it's not what we were told and he said i think it will be Mm. that's and 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 you can imagine how lonely and sad that made me because then he was basically saying i think you're just doing it wrong (laughs) like it's like you're fucked up yeah i'm just relating so danny you were angry and in jamaica (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it came out sideways at me and i i I'm a recovering major codependent. And so for her, the woman, the partner, for me to please, to be angry. And for, to me, I received yelling and anger and cussing. And I, I was horrified. And that, uh, I allowed that to traumatize me for far too long. And even now, like I have a small voice of experience in me that, uh, coaxes me into feeling small in a sexual space. If I listen to it, um, so yeah, it's all of the damage that was done by the repression is it's incredible. It's incredible how not being available to communicate or listen or engage with something uh creates chaos. Yeah. It just creates yeah. chaos and fear and uh so yeah, that was a lot of we were mostly drunk and having fast or no sex in Jamaica on our honeymoon. Yeah, that was me. I, I vividly remember ordering. It was Behringer White Zinfandel. I'm on my honeymoon, and I just ordered a bottle of wine, and she didn't want any. And I was like, "I'm going to drink this whole bottle." I this is just such a breakthrough for me. Somebody told us that reality would be this way. And not that they were telling us, but God was telling us. Yeah. And then it's not. It's a wonder we weren't worse. I'm just having some compassion for us, yeah, for everybody listening. And that sort of brings us to the the 
the, I guess we could get into the reconstruction. I'm interested in where you're at now. I can't believe we've been talking for 90 minutes. Katie just told me. Well, um, I don't feel rushed, though. I hope you guys are still okay for time. Yeah, yeah man, we're, we're, fine. we're fine. Where are we going? We, we just went back in time. The honeymoon is back in time. The music is, is forward in time. Mm-hmm. And the music is about all of these, to use a Christian word, these unspokens. <laughs> you know, it was, it was unspeakable too. And then it had to be psychologically, spiritually, emotionally healing to have people go, this is the shit. This is my shit. That's what it was like for me to do this podcast, to do comedy, to be like, I can't believe, uh, I felt this way. And people are like, that's the shit. I wish everybody could have that experience. Um, is that, is that what started to kind of, if your true self, if your spacious spirituality is a little scared bunny under the porch, that affirmation, and here we are back in the human realm, that human saying, Hey human, you did a good thing. Is that starting to coax it out? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Cause, um, you talked about that, you know, splitting from religion, sort of being like having a, a lover on the side. Like it's, it felt that way for, for quite a while, you know, where we had these, we were having these conversations about unraveling with ourselves and our friends, but in terms of, you know, the other people in our lives, it wasn't something we were really out with. And so it felt very revealing to start sharing the music, which is, I think why I was hesitant, you know? Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, the minute that you have someone else say like, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Like you put words to how I feel is, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to describe that feeling. It's just, it's one of the only feelings I want to have, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's how you describe it. It's one of the only feelings I want to have is perfect. Good, man. Yeah. It's just like, you want to know that we're looking at the same thing. You want those moments of like you saying, when you get a laugh and when you, with one of your jokes, it's like, you just want to know, do you see what I see? And that's why that's responds with yes. It's like, thank, it's such a relief. It's such a relief. Yeah. That was a, a mushroom epiphany for me was, Oh, people paint barns so they can show them a painting and go, is that what you see when you look at that barn? And they, <laughs> and they go, yeah, it is. Cause we're all, the other mushroom feelings I get or whatever feelings is like, oh my God, we're all having such a insulated experience. Like we're all in here (laughs) and art is all about going like, it's like this in here. Are you experienced that in there? Mm -hmm. And that yes is, is the only feeling like you said, it's a symptom. The unifying is a symptom. It's not the goal, but when it happens. So the, the lyrics of those first five songs are pretty uh, mystical you guys were already getting into, so you found it. You found the naked now. Uh, is this where Alan Watts came in? What I'm looking for is like, how did you crack it kind of qu- quickly? I know that's kind of a silly thing to say, but like it, it matured pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, I listened to these songs and I've spent the better part of a decade reading this stuff. And I'm like, this is it. Like, you know what I mean? Like even my, my critical mind doesn't go, that's good. That one line though, that's a little, it's a little off. You know, I I think they, they slipped into their egos there. It's so, it's so clean and so right. So you kind of, what I'm asking is how did you have it 
so quickly. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, my experience- I mean, where, where's the freshman album? You know what I mean? Like you put out five songs that we're, we're still listening to and enjoying. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it was just, I felt so hungry for what we were receiving from, from Richard and the other things that we were taking at the time that um, it was like, I couldn't help but write about it and like, let that be what I was focused on because I just, I needed it so much. I was so hungry for it. And so we were writing those things and it almost felt like at the time the, the, the tone or the intention behind it was like in, it was like hopefulness. Yeah. Like I'm writing these things and I really fucking hope this is true. I hope this is real mm. because this is what mm. I'm clinging to right now. This is the only thing I'm clinging to. And so it was very much like, um, yeah, there was a lot of hope in it. And then as I've grown in these past six, seven years after writing those initial songs, um, they're still, they still speak to me now and illuminate things in my life and my experience today that I, I wasn't experiencing that in the song six years ago when I wrote it. Um, I didn't have the depth, like that intimacy with those concepts that I can have with it now. Mm. Um, so you were ahead of yourself. Isn't yeah. that fun? Yeah. I can read stuff I wrote in my own book and be like, ah, he didn't even know he was right. Yeah, because I look back and and it was all so it feels um, so aspirational, accidental yeah. and aspirational. Yeah, and yeah. All of it still does. I don't even feel, I don't feel ownership or like in those moments when we were writing those songs, I don't think I felt ownership of any of those ideas at all. Obviously, I just felt, I felt uh, emotionally charged inside of those ideas, mm. and. Uh, my experience reflected the true nature of a lot of those things. And it certainly wasn't because I was those things. It was because I wanted to become more like those things that I explored those ideas, I think. Yeah. It feels very much like going for broke. Yeah. You know, you were like, Oh, we d- we did this other thing and it sort of hurt us. And now we've been introduced to this other interpretation and God, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna break the vase <laughs> and, 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 and go for it. It has that energy. Absolutely. What were the other things you were taking in? So Richie came in. What was influencing uh, this sort of awakening? Mm-hmm. Um, for me around that time, it was Richie and yoga, I think, were the biggest ones for me. I did a yoga teacher training at the time, was reading the yoga sutras. and. Um, oh, so you mean like full yoga. You were doing... Patanjali or, or something like that? Yeah, Patanjali, the Yoga Sutras. Yeah. Um, I think most people would think you were just stretching, but you were like trying to get into, you were doing yoga and you were studying the philosophy as well. Philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit of Buddhism too was coming in at the time. So, um, so yeah, those were the things that I was sort of orbiting around. What jumped out at you from those things? When I think of the Yoga Sutras, it's yeah. certain things come to mind. What what is there something that grabbed you? Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, you know, it talks about how yoga is the purpose of yoga is union with the divine. Um, and so, and I found yoga in like early college, like the first first year I went to college, and um, 
I remember being so affected by, you know, cause I, <laughs> I was living in this like shame and guilt body that was always tense and like at war with itself and mm, mm. going to yoga classes and my mind turning off and getting quiet and coming into my body and actually having the physical felt experience of like peace and calm mm. and union with myself was that was life changing. Like I haven't stopped since then, you know, because I was, those were the things that I felt like religion was trying to teach me about, but it was using sort of the, the opposite tools to get yeah. there. And this just felt so straightforward and so simple. Um, and it gave me that experience in the living of my life, that experience of, of unity and equanimity and stillness. And, um, and so, yeah, that's sort of, that was a big thread for me was following that through that time. I love that. I love that. I, you're making me, I didn't intellectualize it at the time, but when I first did yoga and at the end, you're so tired. Yoga is so much harder for me. I'm six foot six. I weigh like 240. It's so much harder for me than when I do it with Val. She's, I'm not saying it's easy for her, but I'm like, I'm four of you and like, and I'm doing the same pose and this sucks. Yeah. So by the end, I'm dead. And that's what Samadhi means. It means a corpse, you know, that's one way. So at the end they say Samadhi and you're laying there like a corpse and you're so tired that you can't think of the story of who you are and you can't even think of your identity and your mind is also so balanced. And is that, that's been my experience, the idea, and it's in your song one, um, shut your brain up long enough to hear the lowly hum. I never thought that spirituality could be unlearning. I never thought it could be emptying. I never thought it could be the unanswerable question, who are you when you're not there? <laughs> Is that, does that, do you, does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think that's such a huge, um, I mean, that's a huge part of how I try to center myself on the day to day is all of the ideas about who I am that live in my mind are the things that slow me down the most um, and cause like all of my suffering, like every bit of it. That's right. So yeah, getting out of my mind and leaving those things behind and just sort of being in my body and kind of living like an animal, you know, is um, that's kind of the best recipe for me. Isn't that funny? Living like an animal would have been sacrilege. Yeah. But now when I look at a deer or Richie would always talk about his dog, Venus. Yeah. When I was with Richard, the first time he did my podcast, his dog was there. And I, w I just said something, what a lovely dog. And he, and he just goes, oh, to be as present as she is, huh? You know, like he, we, and, and he was saying, oh, to live like an animal. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I feel like so much of Christianity was like, let's put on two pairs of pants and let's never move our hips. Like yoga got me like <laughs> moving my hips in a way that I always thought was feminine or inappropriate or opening up and spreading out. But then you feel the, the energy moving in your body and you start to feel, I, I, I really want to put this lyric to you, Danny. I, I know either one of you could have written it, but you sing it beyond the land of the right, the land of the wrong. There's a field waiting for us. All the notions of you, the notions of me, we finally agree don't mean a thing. 
and and that's it. Even even your morality is included in that. Even your your polity and how nice you are or what you look like. There's a there's a space that you can experience with yoga or meditation or whatever it is where you go like, what are you on about? Like, what Zach? What are you beating yourself up for? And you feel that you also have that beautiful line about a drop of holy water going back to the ocean and you just merge with the eternal sea. And that, that love was never explained to me. It was, it was always like, stop touching your ding dong and daddy God won't beat you with the eternal fire stick. It was never like, Hey, shithead, drop it, drop it. I remember saying to Rob, I couldn't come to terms with the fact that I would jerk off and then have a great meditation session. I just couldn't make sense of that. Like, shouldn't I have been beating myself? Shouldn't I have been flogging myself? And he was like, he said it so matter-of-factly. He goes, you're relaxed. (laughs) And I was like, if this guy can love me, what could the eternal love be? How, How preposterous and accepting could that ocean be? And I'm I'm a drop of water going, it's not going to let me in. It knows I'm not water. It knows I'm dirty. Uh, just speak to that. Anything you want to say. I'm not even asking questions. We're just talking. <laughs> yeah, God. I, unlearning, or at least being gentle with that critical voice and not identifying with it has been the work of the last goddamned decade of my life. Mm. You know, like I... And I'm getting better at it. Like I'm getting, I'm, I have a cozier way of talking with it than I have in, earlier in my life. I'm noticing, like right now, and the thing I'm experiencing is I just am trying to integrate my internal world with my physical body. Like, because my physical body has, I just denied it so much. It was just a vessel that worked. Uh, and in fact, was kind of unimportant because later on it would be dissolved into the ether and I would go to heaven. Like it was just, it was a means to an end. And finding the beauty and the integration of my physical form with my spiritual exploration has been a lot of work for me recently. Like I'm just... I'm just trying to notice, you know, my toes and my fingers and my joints and how long it takes for me to inhale and like love and appreciate this thing that I'm living inside of. Um, because because that's it. That's it. <laughs> uh, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? I, I feel you. But what do you mean? Talk about that. Yeah. Like, well, you go ahead. You can enter Jacked, if you'd like. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, it's like Richard says, like, if, um, if one part of creation is condemned, it's the universal Christ. If one part of creation is condemned, then it's all condemned. And mm. if one thing anywhere is holy, then it all has to be holy. Mm. You know? he, he says so many times in that book, he goes, everything is the mind of God is what the Buddhists would say, but everything is imbued with the spirit of God. And he goes, what else could it be? He's often quite funny at times. He's like, what else could creation be except right. kind of the juice of God? <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, Oh, that's a very radical thing to accept. Yeah. Keep yeah. going, please. Yeah. I, uh, 
I don't know where I was going, except for that's been some work that I've been in the middle of recently. Um, being aware of that critic. Uh, what was the what was the prompt? I'm I'm lost a bit in my own world. I, I love what you're saying, and believe it or not, as much as I'm interjecting or interrupting, depending on your how much coffee your the listeners have had, shut the fuck up, Pete. Uh, <laughs> but um, I could interject at every sentence you guys are saying, you're talking about embodiment. Yeah. And and this is really important to me. And Val is a very embodied person. Mm. And, you know, I think we were raised to think, like we said at the beginning, we're playing house. This is just a, this, this is just a, a waste of time. My sexuality is an error. Yeah. My ego is an error. My yeah. critical mind is an error. It always begged the question to me, like, then why have this? Like, what is God doing? Or what is this? What is this doing that this is happening? And we're sort of back to non-resistance. So learning to love the soft animal of your body Mm -hmm. uh, and and the spirituality of that is what we were sort of talking about. Yeah, that's beautiful. And exactly where I find myself right now. I'm still trying to learn to uh, appreciate the experience of exercise, even, you know, like the the idea that my body needs to be taken care of and move. And I, uh, yeah, it's been a, I feel sad thinking about it. How many years I've spent ignoring this incarnation, this body, uh, and how incredibly magical it is and how I get it. Like I get, I'm in it. I get to have this thing that I'm in. And I get to experience and taste and talk and move about in this world and play. And uh, I think I, yeah, that's work I'm in right now is just appreciating and integrating my physical experience with all of these ideals and thoughts that I've been inundated with that I've given myself and also that have rubbed off on me by Danny's exploration. And uh, yeah, I, I love um, here's something else. It's a bit of a different direction, but this morning when I woke up, I, I woke up at seven 30, which is usual for me these days. And Danny was mouth open asleep still. And so I got up out of bed and went onto the couch and I read a bit of Alan Watts. Um, and he, he was talking about how the Chinese speak to how life is purposeless and I thought that was really interesting. And he unpacked that as a compliment. And uh, I, he gave the example of a piece of music. Um, if the point of a piece of music was to get to the end of the bar, uh, then what good is the music? Mm. Where, where's the experience of the, of the movement and contours of your experience inside of it? And I, I, I want to play with life and my own self in that frame mm-hmm. and see it as not duty or not like pressure, but as opportunity and grace and beauty. And um, yeah, I've been thinking about that even as you've been talking and Danny's been talking, I'm still letting that sit into me right now. Yeah. It's not means to an end. It's no. not just like the final chord of the song and we applaud. It's, it's, and, and to have a purposeless, like 
it puts you right in the moment instead yeah. of going, I'm saying this. I'm really embarrassed. I interviewed the, uh, or I, I had the Avid brothers on and I embarrassingly admitted that I, it was in person. I flew to see them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really want them to see how present I am and, and love me. Yeah. <laughs> and Seth was like, that's the opposite of the point. He said it more gently than that, but he was like, that's me thinking when I do this, they'll like me. And then what will I do? I'll boast, bolster my ego by saying I'm friends with the Avid brothers. Yeah. It's fucking nonsense. If you're, everything's a means to an end. Yeah. But even as we're talking right now, if we can drop anchor and just go, it's just this note, we're just playing just this note, just this note, just this note. Isn't that purposeless? Isn't that present? I love what you just said. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> but I love it. And I'm still ruminating in it and even feel a bit distracted by it in this conversation. <laughs> sure. But isn't the, your impression of, of, a, of an untrustworthy or sinister feeling person, somebody that does have a manipulation they want to apply to you, even if it is just, I want to be friends with uh, bird talker. So I can at least tell myself I have groovy friends. Like that is uh, a huckster. That's someone who's trying to get something from you. And that is literally as mammals, something that we're designed to be repelled against. (laughs) Like it's, it's shit. It's absolute shit. Yeah, it is shit. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm glad we could talk find another way. Danny, did you have something? No, I'm getting a drink of water. Sorry. Okay, could you talk about how water is a metaphor at least? I'm just kidding. For everything. <laughs> we did talk about that recently. Val and I were like, be like water. Talk about something that's non-resistant that just flows. Yeah. I, I think there's a reason why water about water, I think. It's always seeking for the lowest place. Yes. Well, that's, that's when reading Richie gets less fun for me. I love when, when he's like, Oh, the, the universe is you, like you are divine. God is living in you and through you and as you. And that's really fun for me to read. And then when he talks about mother Teresa and people having a heart for the the disenfranchised and the broken and how water always finds the lowest point. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I could be doing more. I'll start beating myself up with that same yeah. critical voice. Man, I got stuck there for a long time too, like uh, in that thinking I had to be a saint, a servant, servant and a saint. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of freedom to be found these days and just like doing what feels good. That's a lot of how I find my way through my life is like, what? what feels good? What do I want to do next? And then as I lean into that stuff, you know, good things keep happening. Well, St. St. Augustine, love God and do what you will. Um, I think that's it. It's the earnestness of the intention. And sometimes I do comfort myself. I'm like, yeah, I love doing this podcast. Uh, It's also my job. It also supports me and all these things. But I'm like, I think growing up in the Christian world, we thought for it to be service, it had to suck. Yeah, there's something taken from us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you're if you're not if you're enjoying it, it can't be service. <laughs> but I just told you guys that my heart was blown open uh by listening to your record, which you guys 
I mean, oh God, sin of all sins. It's how you make your living. Yeah. How dare you? Um, but anyway, yeah. do you want, do you want to talk? I'd love to just load you with some prompts and, and this, honestly, this is something I would love someone to do for me. So if you're not enjoying it, um, then it's not working and let's not do it. But, um, no, I think this is rad. I'd love to do it. Okay, great. Our cat's How about, door. hang on one second. What's happening? Our cat's knocking on the door. <laughs> we have to shoot him away. Come on in. Oh, behold, your cat stands at the door and knocks. He does. Okay. Yeah, please. Prompt away. I would love to receive it. Let's do it as a speed round, meaning purposeless and pressureless. And just, here's a lyric. Tell me again how you can talk to God. Tell me about that lyric. How how you're so sure it's not your own voice. <laughs> yeah. That, I think what I had in my mind very clearly when I wrote that line was like being evangelized to yeah and that uh those kind of conversations where someone's telling me like so you should definitely believe this and you should make these choices in your life and you should feel this way yeah i mean you're you had a direct experience of some man telling you that god wanted him to marry you is that true i had a lot of people tell me a lot of things that god wanted me to do yeah. in my life so it was kind of a reaction against that other people telling me what god was trying to tell me mm. rather than me being able to trust, you know, that I had the same connection and that I could trust what I was hearing and not what other people were trying to tell me. Yeah. Right. What, what is listening? <laughs> you know what I mean? Someone else is telling you yeah. what God told them and what in you is hearing it. Like the phenomenon of consciousness that is you, you've mistaken for somebody that needs to be told what <laughs> by this person, what to do. What is the second line? Tell me again, how you can talk to God. You, and how it tells you what to do. And then I know it's disguised as something absolute. How, but I, you're sure it's not your own damn voice disguised as something absolute. I mean, hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> There's like sarcasm in your lyrics sometimes. And I don't even, that sounds like I'm judging it. But um, the, the, oh, she loves me and she loves French fries. The line, I don't think I've read a more sarcastic line than aren't we so safe now inside each other's hearts? hearts yeah. yeah. I mean, talk about that. What What is love? I, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like what we thought love was and what we think love is now. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, the sarcasm is all me. That's how I get out a lot of anger is through sarcasm. <laughs> so that's what that comes from. Um, but that's that's ministering to me because I would feel that I'm just like oh my god yeah yeah um, God I don't I ask myself this question all the time what what love is and don't don't have a great answer for it I don't mm -hmm. think at this point but um, man it feels a lot like. I guess I can think of it in terms of like our relationship, me and Zach and our marriage and love feels like love can exist here when I stop trying to make him into something that is for me, like to please mm -hmm. me. Um, so there's, there's letting things be. I think acceptance is like a, a tenet of love. I don't think, 
love can exist without just accepting something exactly as it is. And acceptance even sounds like there's a bit of distance to it. So there's like this embrace of the thing as well. Mm. Um, It's accepting it and embracing it. And it's just, it feels like this inclusion. It's just a yes. It's just like all of this gets to be here and it's all okay. And it's all good. That I think is the feeling of love for me. I love that. It's not just an intellectual acceptance. It's an embrace. It's, 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 it's a merging. I was just telling my mom, you know, uh, moms and I, she was kind (laughs) of, she was kind of going through some stuff. And I, and I said something to her that Richie said to to me in a book, but it's, it feels like he said it to me (laughs) that it's like the first forgiveness. Christianity gets all this talk about forgiveness, but like the first forgiveness is to reality. Like you forgive reality, meaning instead of trying, you have a line about that. Um, my first, uh, my first uh, is to get pissed. Uh, something bad happens. Uh, look, somebody's going to butcher your lyrics. I bet you'll love this. My first reaction is to get pissed and to resist, like I could change what is. I mean, isn't that what we're talking about? That yeah. realization. A, a powerful prayer for me is "Thy will be done," because nothing's changing except my attitude. I'm saying that's what's happening anyway. There's ugly people. There's nasty people by my judgment. There's bad things. There's good things. And going like, as if I could change what is, I mean, that feels a little sarcastic too, or playful might be a better way to put it as if I could change what is that's loving. That's saying yes to what is happening. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I think that in the external and internal world, that's such truth. Like for me, seeing the world and the dualistic good and bad behaviors. Uh, I had created a divided version of myself where I kept so much inside away and secret, even from my own consciousness um, that I was never walking around as a whole person. And I still, you know, behave that way sometimes and avoid certain ideas or conversations, but I, the willingness to, hold space for what feels uncomfortable. Like my, and growing up for me, I, there were even value statements put on certain emotions, you know, like being sad or being angry or being, uh, quiet or like, (laughs) um, frustrated. All of those were, you know, go to your room until you're better instead Mm -hmm. of trying to have a conversation with those things and engage them and see what they had to point to. Mm. Um, So I think that my reaction to the world and to myself, I think that, so the following lyric to that is, could it be there's more to life than keeping the easy on my side? or keeping at bay what makes you cry. I can't remember which one comes first and then free like a broken heart. And I think integrating and including and embracing, like you said, all of that inner experience, I think it has to start there. At least in my experience, it does. It has to start with including all of me in order for me to incorporate any of her. Mm. Yeah. Good or otherwise not good or bad, but I'll just your experiences. 
Yeah. yeah. A no just shuts everything down. You know, it doesn't let anything else grow there. Um, Richard says yes is an archetype for heaven and no is an archetype for hell. You know, mm. it's like, as soon yeah. as you say no, you just, you cut the life off of that from that situation and it doesn't have a chance to, to grow or transform or breathe. And, um, and the danger of saying no to unpleasant or inappropriate emotions. That's what Val said. For, she wanted me to ask you guys, cause she loves you um, as much as I do. I was going to say more, but <laughs> um, she was like, there's so much feel your feelings. There's so much explore your shadow. There's so much um, like I, I was thinking like, it's funny, it's spiritual music or it's evolved. I, I hate all of these words, but like you talk about, we're all lonely. Um, I was like, that's, if you were on a Christian label, people would be like, I don't know if I want you repeating. We're all lonely, like <laughs> over and over and over. Um, but like, why, why the fuck not? Like, yeah. like to, to, to say, it's so counterintuitive, but to say yes to your broken heart or to say yes to your doubt. And as you said, Zach, to see what it's trying to tell you instead of seeing it as an error or your anger, Danny, you're talking about the times you were angry. There was something really powerful and true that was yelling at Zach in Jamaica that needed to be exercised. I mean, needed light yeah. and air and wind on it. It needed, yeah. it needed the energy of the mushrooms at you at your board meeting at the church. And that shit doesn't fuck around. But if we just go, no, I'm supposed to be nice. As Richie says, I know you, you know, this Danny he says the word nice doesn't appear in the new, in the new Testament. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't anyone else tell me this? I thought that was the whole point was to be nice and to not be sad and to not be alone and forget about Ecclesiastes and forget about Job and forget about Jesus in the garden and, and forget about the, the disciples after Jesus died and how bummed they were. All of that shit was out the window. We were just supposed to walk around only whistling salvation when the only way to salvation is through the brokenness, right? Now I'm preaching, but right. I mean, talk about that. I love it, Pete. <laughs> To incorporate it. It's, yeah, it's, I I really lean on, because uh, I have to make translations sort of from like the mother tongue to present day, you know, I feel like I have to carry some terms forward just for the sake of my own brain. Mm. Um, so translating holiness to wholeness, you know, and like, um, like I lean on Carl Jung a lot for his like um, work around like shadow work and just it, integration, integration of everything that's there. And when you can embrace everything that's there, that's actually what we mean when we say the word holiness. Yeah. It's whole. It's just, it's all there and it, it all gets to be there. I was just reading, there's a book he has, Richie has called What the Mystics Know. I'm only a little embarrassed to say it's my bathroom book, but it's like short chapters and it's good like that. But isn't that what we're talking about? Like, oh, don't have a holy book in the bathroom. Why? Like, isn't it this too? Isn't it this too? But he said, Jesus, Paul, Moses, none of these, none of these people would hold up to the modern idea of what holiness is. Paul was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. Jesus is losing his temper. Jesus is, as I said, I'm joking, but he's being kind of catty or whatever, or he's hanging out with murderers. 
I mean, there's, there's people I couldn't hang out. I couldn't tell people that I'm a holy person and then like hang out with certain people. It would just look bad. Right. So we've lost and redefined holiness as something other than wholeness. We've, we've made it into the tube of toothpaste. We've made it into Superman and Superman doesn't murder people. Yeah. I mean, where's the hope? It, 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 like, I mean, for better or worse, if St. Paul, who is flawed, I, I concede, but he has some great stuff. And nowadays would just be like, shut up, murderer. You know what I mean? And like, I'm not even saying I can disagree with that because I'm so a part of this world that I understand that perspective. But like, thank goodness there was a, a different standards or different different levels of yes at different times, because I don't know who we could have had. I mean, Buddha left his family. Buddha's going around saying uh, emptiness is like, where's your kids? You support your kids? Like, it's tricky stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't support your kids, but I'm saying holiness isn't perfection necessarily, is it? Would we agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would, yeah, I think that perfection is a word that I don't even really relate to. I don't think it's real. You know, I don't think anything, I think, well, it's a paradox maybe because I think perfection is imperfection. You know, there's no, that's it. You have to include imperfection and perfection. And so it's kind of just a paradox that means nothing. I'm sorry to the listeners. Cause I always say this, but the last time I took a non-specified drug, I had this epiphany that's really served me which is if it doesn't make sense, that's a really good sign. It's right. It's a really good sign to give a bonus to the employee who's actually been fucking up. And doesn't that just sound like Jesus? I mean, I I know Zach, these are sort of nails on chalkboard potentials, but like he tells that story of the three workers. One shows up at 8 a.m., one shows up at noon and one shows up at like 4 p.m. and they all work till 8 p.m. And then the, the employer pays them all the same. That to me is the story of like perfection is imperfection. Perfection is the embracing and the allowing of imperfection. If it's not a paradox, I don't think we're even close to the place where it's adorable. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, that awe energy is because it needs the closest we can get is paradox. The closest we can get is a metaphor or a story that's sort of pointing near the the direction as, as if there could be such a thing as a direction of truth, right? Yeah. 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 Fucking a. We're, we're now we're really cooking. <laughs> um. Oh my god! I can't hear this line without crying. This is one of the ones that I was like, "How do you do it?" I'm so tired of taking the more I take, the more I need. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like what, what do we do with that? That is it. Talk about that trap that we're all sort of in. Yeah. I mean, I, I have another window open to Amazon and I just bought a back massager. I'm just kidding. But like, <laughs> I, I can't get out of it. Talk a little bit about that, that, that desire for something outside of ourselves or whatever it makes you think of both of you, please. Yeah. That, um, do you mind if I go first? Yeah, please. I mean, I think that you wrote that lyric. Um, it's like, it's speaking to, you know, the empty hole, the, um, just acting from the wounded ego and everything that you're doing 
that I was doing for, for so long felt like I was just trying to get to enough. There was this nirvana and I had to get there. And if I did these things and then this thing, and then I did these at the same time, then maybe I could get to this place that I wanted to get to, which is just peace. It's mm. just, I just wanted relief, you know, mm. um, just relief. That's it. And it's so simple. And I was working so fucking hard to get somewhere to make myself, I don't know, enough or worthy or holy or whatever mm -hmm. it was I was working towards. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a moment when all of that just sort of explodes and you realize that you're already there. Yeah. You're already there. If you can just drop all the shit that tells you that you're not, mm. you know, that's all it takes. You just if let it go. If you want relief, be relief yeah. or, or, or find the part of you that is relief. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I see this all over your lyrics, your mind. I think Satan, I don't believe in Satan. I'm saying, I think Satan is a metaphor for your brain, for your ego. It's robbing you. We said it was a liar and a thief, but it's always going like, oh, if only the Avett brothers were friends with me, then I'd be good <laughs> mm -hmm. enough. Yeah. And even, even with spiritual stuff, right? I mean, like, Oh, if only I could, I do it sometimes. I'm like, I could go to New Mexico. I could sit with Richard. And then what, Pete? Yeah. Are you sure you're not just bolstering your ego by saying, of course, I'm going to heaven. Richard, what, R Richard baptized me? R who baptized who? Who's baptizing who? Yeah. Please keep going. Zach, what did that make you think of? Yeah, I. it's just the it's all about integration again, like the idea for searching for something outside of something that's already there. Um, mm. Me being able to stomach the fact that all of what I have is beautiful and good and is pointing to something that's just good enough. Like I don't, mm. and that is still, you know, again, that's an aspirational song because that's a, that's a, a critic's voice that's easily accessible to me. I'll speak for myself. But being able to have the the present state of mind to just accept that I, in all of my inner experiences and outer experiences, and just incorporate all of myself without looking outside for something that's different than what I'm I'm missing, and you know that's really difficult for somebody coming from a place of that's the foundational software is being told that I'm only, I can only be looked upon through the veil of Jesus's white clothing, you know, like that's, mm. that foundational software has been so tricky to unwire. Mm. Uh, but that, yeah, I, I love that lyric too. I, I thank you for even sharing it again. I haven't thought about it in a while. We haven't sung these songs in over a year and I, yeah. I love how it's a bit salty, but like it's, true it's give yourself a fucking break and just listen and be quiet and say yes mm. and be with it mm. it's so fucking hard for me um but it's the work that i i guess i suppose i'll do continually you know? right i think i heard richard say something like that it's like even the day you die you wake up and you kind of have to find it again that's yeah. what we're talking about that morning ritual i hope for the good grace 
that when I'm dying, I'm in a space like I am now. And I was this morning listening to your music. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. I could be screaming and panicking and saying, <laughs> it's all a big joke and it's a black nothing. It doesn't matter. That's wonderful. Uh, hey, be the universe panicking as you die. Thank you. That, that was a good, what a trip. Like that, that was a hoot. And uh, to quote Alan Watts, we'll come backstage and we'll all have a laugh at how I shit myself and I punched the nurse. And, you know, like I, I was on too much morphine or whatever it might be. Um, so even, even that notion that I might have like an enlightened passing, get fucking over yourself. Like, stop it. Yeah. Like you, like shut the fuck up. That's just another heaven. I've just made my heaven a good death. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, um, this one is a, it's sort of the physics st- angle of it, the science of it. Underneath what's detectable with eyes, every particle's vibrating with the one life. Lines like this are so helpful to me because my 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 rash my rationality is invited into it. It goes. Hey, guess what? We're not just talking about love being a yes, because my brain is good at kicking up like, yeah, but you were an asshole to your brother. Oh, fuck. Right. I'm not worthy of a yes. But when you say underneath what's detectable with eyes, every particle is vibrating with the one life. That's string theory. That's quantum physics. That's that's quantifiable. I mean, quantum, we can quantify it. (laughs) We can get into it. That is a, a working theory. It's not a fact, but like science can agree with us. Just talk a little bit about that. The fact when we're talking about love, I, I often think of the the force that's keeping my molecules me. That's a that's a pretty hefty yes. Um, and Alan Watts, we didn't come into this world; we came out of it. Mm. Um, and Jesus didn't come into this world; he came out of it. That's in the Cosmic Christ. I love when they overlap. I'm like, I wonder if Richard knows that Alan said that because here he is saying it, and that's incarnation and boil it down. Here's a swarm of molecules that thinks, believes in eternal conscious uh, torment, hell, and you need to say this prayer or you burn. And here's a hippie that thinks everything's all in the game. And zoom in. We, we often say zoom out and we're just on a planet and that adds a sort of cosmic joke to it. But yeah. zoom in, it's the same thing talking to the same thing. It's just It's just playing a game. I'll be... I'll be the uptight and you be the groovy. Oh, but <laughs> zoom in far enough. String theory is sort of funny. There's just like kind of like bouncing strings of an energy that we don't understand. That's not made of molecules. It's not made of atoms. It's not made of quarks. It's not made of any of that stuff. It's just the fundamental building block. And can't we all come to the table and agree that that's a mystery and it's worth thinking about? Yeah. Your turn. <laughs> I, yeah, science is like a really big part of my spirituality, I guess, or just my making sense of the world. Like, um, because, you know, the, um, the whole reformation, enlightenment, all this, we've approached religion through the, the brain for so long. We approach so many things through our brains, which serve to categorize and make all these divides between all these different aspects of life and, I think it's, I think it's rad and it's really helpful for me um, that we're alive in a time when we can look at science in such a way that it's able to show us these things now that um, what we're looking at um, in the realms of science have some overlap in the realms of mysticism. And they're saying some things that sound pretty similar and, you know, 
Um, so I find it very grounding mm-hmm. to, because it's do the, we're doing the same thing, you know, the mysticism and science. It's like, we're just sort of peering into the void, into this mystery and like trying to find language, uh, to talk about it. You know, mm. we're just, uh, we're exploring these different realms where we just aren't quite sure what we're looking at. And so, and that way they feel like, uh, brothers to me, you know, they're, they're kin and, uh, they help me uh, make up a picture, you know, a worldview of what I'm looking at. So Mm. uh, yeah, we just watched a video on quantum physics last night for Valentine's Valentine's day Day because (laughs) that's like romance. So romantic. Yeah. I, Um, for me on a very, in a much more layman way and on a very practical level, I just, and I'm, I'm obvious neither of us are an expert on any, anything relating to quantum physics or, biochemistry or any any of that nature but i i and i'm parroting what i've heard but we are on a very practical anatomical level the same stuff as stars like we're hydrogen and carbon and all of these beautiful molecules that make up the swirl of it all and we for me that's even that depth which is fairly shallow water for me to look at another person and know that is just if I'm in that space, it's miraculous. Mm-hmm. And it is just the fact that he's or she is clicking her mouth and sounds are coming out and I'm having an emotional or informational response to it is just, it's fucking incredible. Mm. And I, so science in that way, and that's just one example, but the idea that we and the trees and a fucking rock are in fact made up of what science quantifies as certain words is intellectually and experientially unifying to me. And it creates a lot more level playing field. Yeah. It's a leveler. It feels like I I said this in my uh, book, it's like Mario brothers and you realize you're made of pixels and so are the Goombas and so is Bowser and so is fire. And so are the bricks. Oh, I love that. And mushrooms can help us figure that out. <laughs> but, um, but, but there's no difference. We're there. Like, are we in a simulation? Yeah. I mean, reality is a simulation. It's, it's a, a, a swarm of bees. I like to always say it's a swarm of, or, you know what? I'll give you a fresh one. It's looking at rain falling on a lake and the shapes that spark up, sparkle up from the water, look like people and cars, and but really it's just water hitting water. You know what I mean? It's just, we're back to water. Yeah. And like, and there's nothing wrong with playing. Oh, I'm a comedian, and I'm interviewing musicians, and these are our roles. And I'm a man, and Danny, you identify as a woman, and all that. Who cares? But like, it's really liberating and leveling to go. But it's also just water. I, I've been trying to make this work as a premise, but I can't make it not sound condescending. But I was thinking, I was stoned, and I was like, it's so funny to explain religion to Leela, that's our daughter. Like, some people think this is God. God made this. Some people think it was Allah. Um, and some people think it was nothing. <laughs> like, it's such a, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't make it funny. You guys laughed, and I I think that's the end of the joke. Some people's guess is nothing. Nothing. And I understand that on a, in a Buddhist way, you can get into the void, and you're like, it really is sort of nothing. But like some people are like, it's just sort of 
It just sort of happened. And the only thing that makes it sound like a joke is that would be like if I got up in the morning and my living room was filled with, filled with cats playing the piano. And if I was like, someone put these cats here and someone was like, you think someone put those cats there? Grow up. What are you, an idiot? But like, it's not just cats playing the piano. It's everything, every tree, mountain, solar system, star. Like, it's funny to say like we're made of stars, but like, what are stars, but just us out there? It's just the same shit out there. We're like, oh, crazy. They're so far away, but it's just the same this. It's just this, it's just this, it's just this. And I think that some of the pieces of this saying that this is nothing is super funny to me. I can't really, (laughs) I can't really articulate it that when you are the divine spark and you don't believe in yourself, I'm not saying you need to believe in the old man on the cloud. I'm just like, yeah, this is this is just fucking nothing, dude. And it's and it's going nowhere. And it came from nowhere. That's either funny or it's not. I don't know. But we're laughing. And that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, you always what where did you appropriate that from? Just nothing's funnier than the truth. You always oh, tell me that. Well that's yeah, I heard Richard say that, I think, on your podcast that's how i found your podcast actually was that when you had richard on for the first time i think oh really a friend of mine told me about it and yeah i remember him saying that i think that nothing's funnier than the truth well that do like so many times and nothing is more moving that's what i'm saying when Mm. i was thinking about you guys playing these songs i wouldn't be able to say one drop of holy water runs down runs to the ocean side, accepting no question into the rising tide. I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> like I, I don't think I could play that with the sound that you're making, looking at a mass of people. And that's a spiritual thing. All these individuals come and form an audience and the audience merges with you to become a show. Yeah. That's fucking church. And just because I don't know, I, I, I just, the separation of the sacred and the secular that is sacred. That that's this is sacred. It's it's this monitor. I oh, I wish I was talking to you. The monitor is made of stardust too. Yeah. <laughs> that is, oh God, it's so. Yeah. It can seem so obvious at times. <laughs> Tell me, right? Sometimes you go like. Sometimes I think we'll die, and we'll trip out that we ever lost it. Mm-hmm. And I think, in a very Alan Watts way, we came here to lose it. We came here for the fun. And for the experience of losing it, that we wanted to know what it was like to be heartbroken. Well, let's 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 get out of here. Let's. Um, I'll I'll just give you the real speed round. If any of these words are interesting to you, what do you what do you make of heaven and hell now? That's a hot issue. We sort of touched on it. Uh, I really enjoyed sort of what C.S. Lewis talks about relating to those things. And it's just states of consciousness and that every decision you make moves you closer to one or the other. Mm. And it's just an internal experience because that's all you can really speak to. Nobody knows what's going to happen after you eat it, except for your body's going to feed a tree. (laughs) So like, that's sort of where I land with it right now. And that feels super healthy to my, to me, (laughs) it feels so Mm. healthy and very integrated and calming and true. Uh, and I can see it reflected to me in my own choices and my experience and like the, the collateral of my decision-making, like what is, what am I creating with my choices? Is it a more symbiotic, beautiful place or is it somewhere that's divided and closed off and isolated? Mm. Hot. I went, I did a past <laughs> life regression with a friend who's a psychotherapist or not a, he's a hypnotist. And this was before I really dove into the 
um, you know, deconstruction of it all in a, in an intense way. But I, I was looking forward to it. You know, I was, I was curious, I was very open and he put me into trance on my couch and offered me, uh, invited me to look for a guide. Like if I saw any guides, my eyes were closed and I have a very visual imagination and I found a guide and, uh, Dan, my friend led me to follow my guide and my guide took me into, um, the ground, into a, into a room, into the ground, not into some different era, not to meet some people that I used to know, but into the ground and left and mudded it up. And so I was locked underground in this hot room and I, uh, reflecting on that, I realized that that was so much of the repression and division that lived inside of me. All the choices that I had made up to that point where I didn't recognize and accept and embrace all of myself. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I was very uncomfortable. I became aware of the circumstance. I was actually sweating and I asked him to take me out of that experience because it was so uncomfortable. And, uh, that, um, that is my experience of hell so far is realizing how divided I was in that moment and how, uh, there was so much energy inside of me that had built up over divisive choices I had made and ignorant choices that I had made that I was living in a space that was so uncomfortable and I was just pretending to float about. Okay. Hmm. So that is what heaven and hell is to me. And I hope to continue to make choices that are open and I don't, you know, sometimes, but that's, that's my, that's my take. That's my hot take on it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, what about you, Danny? Mm, I'd say something really similar. I just, I don't really think about what happens after I die anymore because I don't find it helpful. So it really just feels like choices, like choices I can make now, um, a state that I can live in right now. And either it's taking me, you know, closer to the people around me and the life that's in front of me or farther away. And that's sort of how I make sense of it. Mm. Yeah. I, another beautiful thought about this that was given to me by a lecture I watched from Neil deGrasse Tyson was, I think he was asked by someone who had the tone of a defensive Protestant, but it was like, if there's no after thing, then what's the point of being here? And like, how do you, how do you metabolize being here and like enjoy it and look forward to something? He said, well, throw out, look forward or look back and realize, I realize that I have for now at this point, I guess 46 years or however old he was, 45 years old, I have feasted and trotted upon the flora and fauna of this planet. And it will be my life's greatest honor to give back to it what it gave to me. Mm. And I was just blown away by that. I was like, what the, what humility. And like, I, I, what I, you know, I welled up at that. I, I just, that's not a way I look at my life very often. And now it's how I, in my better, clearer moments, look at my life mm. is that what a gift I have to eat and drink and experience. And like, I'm going to give that back to the environment that gave it to me. Yeah. And so I think that's so, such a beautiful way to look at being alive. I love that. Richie said that it's in falling upward. He says the point of life. It's one of his more verbose 
statements. He goes, the meaning of life is to humbly and proudly return what you've been given. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, I, I, it even has paradox. You're humble, yet you're proud, but you're just giving back what you've been given. And even in your death, that's what you're doing. You're giving yeah. your carbon back yeah. to a tree. And the narcissism that you should be spared from that process, that you should only feast and never die. I, we're back to Christ on the cross. Like, that's it. There it is. You know what I mean? It's it's like the divine participation in this sometimes horrible and ugly seeming process being like this too, this too, this too, this too. But I love that from mm. Neil deGrasse. That is amazing. What about prayer? Any thoughts on prayer? Mm. Mm. See, this is the part I wish someone would just ask this to me. So I hope if you don't enjoy it, say pass. <laughs> oh, I want to I answer and then I'd like to hear your answer too. Um, Think about Alex Ebert. Okay. That yeah. was Well, that was just my first gateway into thinking about it differently. Yeah. I think, so Edward Sharp is a band that I admire and Alexander Ebert, I believe, is the lead singer's name. And I follow him on the social media and he's an outspoken man about lots of philosophical and spiritual things. And it's just fun to ride along. But he, uh, he wrote a song called, I don't want to pray, I think. And I think the lyric is, I don't want to pray to my maker. I just want to want to be what I see. And I really like the idea. (laughs) And that's revealing that I don't consistently feel this way. And like, this is my frame of mind all the time, but Prayer, I think, is the state of presence, like just being being with where you are and engaging in a way that is the most in, integrity ridden way you can without trying. Just being being with your experience in the most honest way you can um, with what you have, mm. I think, is as prayerful as a person can be. Love it. I think that on a metaphysical level, I've been exposed to ideas where there is some level of electromagnetism that could be honed in and expunged into the world in a state of prayer or meditation. I, again, am not an expert or claim to know any fact about that, but I'm really compelled by that idea of being in a state of meditation and like uh, like the power of positive thinking that sort of uh, metaphysical reaction that I guess hypothetically could happen, but on a practical level, prayer for me is, um, loving myself and trying to be that self in my environment. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I think we're in the exact same place. Uh, I, I want to hear your answer, Danny, but just to that, um, I'm challenged when I hear about things like double blind studies where certain groups are prayed for by name and certain groups aren't and the people that are prayed for, but like in that mushroomy place, which I'm not my brain or the voice would say, of course your thoughts have consequences. What here, what thing here doesn't affect everything else here. (laughs) Doesn't that just make sense? Because, Because here you would be like, but it's just my thoughts and my thoughts are somewhere separate. They're, they're up here. They're in my squishy brain and the world is out there. But when we really get in a unitive place, you're like, everything dominoes everything. And, and it's also like, 
who is thinking. I had a real, I had a LSD trip where I was like, I saw Christ, I saw Hanuman. And I was like, yeah, but that's just my imagination. And the voice, it was my voice, but the voice said, whose imagination? Mm. You know what I mean? Meaning like the whole universe is the imagination of God. And you are a vessel that is sparked by that imagination. And my imagination, I don't want to get crazy here, but it's informed by divinity. So I'm like, who cares? So Ramdas would say he hangs out with his guru and people would say, that's just your imagination. And he'd say, yes, Joan of Arc. They said, you talk to God, that's just in your head. And she said, where else would it be? This is sort of that Buddhist, like, where is the line? Where are the, where's this fence between my brain and reality when you really let the boundaries bleed away? So that's, but I'm with you. I'm like, Val and I, especially since we've had a daughter, throw up so many more dear Jesuses than we ever thought we would. Mm. You know, yeah. I, maybe you'll enjoy this. I say, um, God, please protect this girl. Please love her and please keep her safe. And I go, I know you love all of us the same. And uh, but why are you the only one that's allowed to be a paradox? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I know I'm breaking my own belief system. But I'm also like, I'm, I'm behaving how I see you behave in these ways that don't make any sense necessarily, lo- logically. So even though I know your will will always be done, here I am saying, please keep my daughter safe. And, and I'm like, if it doesn't make sense, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's a beautiful yeah. exercise in just like accepting the reality and the humility of being a human and not being in control too. You know, right. like, I love that. That's mm. a beautiful gesture to keep your whole self in a space that's accepting. And I, yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing. It's, I appreciate that, man. You're very, you're kind. It, it does take some humility to, to go back to that old, dear God, please, please, this, yeah. please that. But um, who am I that I think I can't feel the need to do that or be comforted by that or whatever it might be. So Danny, what, what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, it feels to me like prayer is sort of like what we talked about earlier. Like if you're looking for relief, just be relief, find the piece of you that is relief. So it feels like embodiment to me, like, um, these things that I say that I admire and want to uphold in my life. I, those won't just happen to me. I have to practice. I have to practice being those things. And so I think that's how I understand prayer in my life is time set aside to invite that uh, state of being into my body, you know, Mm. clear the cobwebs a little bit, stop thinking about reality and just ease into it. Yeah, I've said it a million times, but St. John of the Cross says, don't think of any attribute of God, just God as he is. I know he uses the he pronoun, Mm -hmm. but just God as he is. So even the thought, God, you are infinite or God, you are mighty or amazing is in the way it's in, it's in the way you're, it can only be subject to subject. It can't be me to God. It has to just be like, let's fucking stop and just dissolve into it like sugar into iced tea. Right. Like no concepts. No concepts. Yeah, leave the that's right. Behind. Even the concept of conceptlessness is is fucking your shit up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Paradox, yes. Yeah. 
Oh, which means we're on the right. I, I remember I saw on 60 Minutes, there was a monk. Uh, there's this island in Greece where the, there are all these monks and it got national attention because they, they have very low cancer rates. They have very good health and all they do is chant and, and eat fruit. And um, 60 Minutes went to talk to them. And this was when my prayer was, dear Jesus, uh, thank you for this day. Bless mommy, daddy, Petey, Sammy, John, Penny, and the kittens. That was my prayer. <laughs> My brother was like fourth build to several cats. Um, and the guy said to the interviewer, he was like, uh, Paul says, pray without ceasing. And he was like, yeah, we believe that. And he says, well, shouldn't you be praying right now? And the monk smiled and says, who says I'm not praying right now? And I was just like, oh, I don't think this guy's doing a dear Jesus. Thank you for this day up there. I think he's going. I'm the universe being interviewed on 60 Minutes and just... He's not even thinking about it. He's like your cat right now. There it is. There's the face of the Buddha. There he is. There he is. Oh, Leo. <laughs> I feel like we could do this for everything and anything. I have Jesus. <laughs> I have soul. I have shadow. I have sin. I have vice. I have ghost. I have sex. Mm. Um, I have sex. Um, <laughs> but how about this? How about some recommendations for things that have helped you? And and then we'll we'll maybe do this again, but we don't have to go nine years. Uh, what, what are what are some things that you think would help? Maybe it's music, maybe it's books, maybe it's teachers, mentors, whatever it might be. Because let's just put it this way: we're certainly enjoying this. We're vibing on the same place. If people like thoughts like this, what are some things, some resources that might be helpful? This sounds trite, but I would say themselves, like take inventory of what's going on inside of yourself if you've never done it before. Like mm. find the anxiety and the friction and write as just spit it out onto your paper and then talk to it as you would somebody who was telling you those things. Mm. Like give yourself some grace and like you've got to do that first <laughs> before you got information. Because I, I can only speak from experience because I've, I've inundated myself with information and spiritual teachings and, you know, deconstructive thoughts. And I, all of it felt like it was just putting some beautiful and important decoration on something that wasn't right. Mm. Uh, so I would say the first place to start would be to take some loving inventory of yourself. I, th I think that's not trite at all. Um, it brought up so many things. There's a Zen story of, uh, it's short, a student studies with all the great masters. He travels all over Asia, sitting at the feet of everybody, learning everything he could, reading everything he could, memorizing everything he could. And then he finally gets to the feet of the master, the biggest master. He finally got an audience with him. And he said, I I've done all this and I've come to you to finally get the truth. And the master says, let's have tea first. And he uh, gives him a cup of tea and he pours it and then he keeps pouring it. So it starts overflowing and overflowing and overflowing and falling onto the floor. And the student says, what are you doing? And he says, how can I put something in something that is already full? Like that's already, that has too much. He doesn't mean you're already the truth. He means there's so much fucking tea in here, kid. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't, I can't even get in there. So that emptying, not to turn this into a book recommendation you didn't make, but for me, it's Byron Katie, who, if you've ever heard of the work, 
you have a thought like um, I'm a bad son or whatever, mm -hmm. and you question it. That's the way that I learned very effective to take inventory. Is it true? Well, you might say, yes. Are you sure that it's true? Well, I can't be sure that it's true. I don't know my mother's thought and isn't she the judge of whether or not. And then it's like, how do you feel when you feel it? How would you feel without it? And what's the opposite? And how is that true? Oh, I'm a good son. And you think of five ways you're a good son. And you start realizing this incredibly intoxicating and liberating thought that nothing is true. I know that sounds scary, but you're sort of like, you can't really know anything to be true. And that applies to all of that self-hate that you have and all of that doubt and disgust. And so you're talking about that shadow, get in touch with that mm. nasty voice that fucking won't leave you alone. Mm. Because I think we need to get that tea out before we can even, I would say just be happy being an empty cup, but we can also say have some delicious tea in there. Yeah. And I would also say that that might be incredibly hard for someone to do who's never done it before or experienced love like that from someone else. So if you have the resources, and I'm sure there are resources out there to find this, but get with a, a neutral third party, like find some therapy and get a voice in your psyche in the real world, like validating your experience and yeah. like seeing that you're like all of it's okay. And there's things to learn and mm. you're beautiful and like, let's move through this together. Cause having somebody do that in your real life, for me, again, my experience allows me to do that for myself. I think more clearly and better than I would have been able to do on my own starting from ground zero. I think that's perfectly put. I had years and years and years of therapy. And my impression of my therapist is, who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would tell him this story, talk about sex shame, that I would hear my neighbors in my apartment building having sex and I, and I would masturbate. I, it would turn me on and I would yeah. masturbate. And I'm telling you, that was the worst thing I could confess because it felt like a violation of, of everybody, myself, them, <laughs> reality, God. And he just went, everybody knows the story, but he just went, it's very erotic. <laughs> he just, somebody somebody outside of me saying yeah the sound of people having sex is sexual made me go like oh okay you know what i mean I, i'm not saying it's not a little like it's not like my favorite thing that i've done but like i was able to be like it's not a big deal similarly he'd be like oh i looked at porn and he was like yeah images of people having sex turns you on like when someone just explained that to me, yeah. like, what's the big deal? Who cares? You didn't hurt anybody. Who cares? Who cares? He always said, you didn't hurt anybody. Who cares? It was really, really lovely. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. What about you, Dan Dan? Dan Dan Noodles? Um, oh, God. You're Thank probably... You for that. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> and you just closed the Zoom. Thank you for that. Boop. Um. Yeah, my answer would be really similar. Actually, uh, I'm not reading a lot of anything right now. Like, and I think it's because in my 20s, I did so much of that seeking to sort of try to rebuild, you know, the structure that was there and then wasn't there. And so, um, you know, I'm grateful for everything that I found and read. But, um, you know, like, I don't know, your life... I think your life brings you the voices uh, that you need and brings you, 
you know, the messages that you need to hear through the pathways that you'll most easily hear it and receive it. And so I feel like that, that's how I found all the resources that ended up helping me along the way. Um, Mm. And so, so yeah, I just, um, I think life, life will bring you what you need and it's just about a willingness to uh, be open to that and look for it and let it come in. And then, yeah, but recently I just feel like so overloaded with information, you know, like, so uh, there's so much going on in my brain and so many things to understand and figure out that uh, emptiness is sort of the ticket for me these days, you know? So I I don't even have like a recommendation that's on my mind because I'm, I'm not really looking but that is the recommendation. Val and I just realized this too, that we were like, we couldn't go on a walk without talking about how we were hurling through infinity. And there's, <laughs> again, it's, it's a Rumi poem or maybe it's Kabir. I confuse them. But he says, we're, we woke up in an apple orchard. Don't waste your time talking about why. Eat some apples. That's a grotesque. Yeah. That's no. a grotesque uh, paraphrase. Yeah. But that is good advice. And I am going to intellectualize it a little bit and say Richard says the key to spirituality, uh, not the only key, but he goes is patience and humility. So like just knowing like your music, like be here now, the book, the way it came together, the way this podcast came together for me, it was organic. It was patience. And it was a little bit of humility going, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and I don't know what's happening, but it's, it started happening to you, through you, and as you. I, 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 I love that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and obviously, listen to the, the record. It, it's called One. You have another one coming out? Yeah. We do. I think it's going to be called Tides, which is Tide. fun. Yeah. That's great. Somebody told me you were going to name it because I said, okay, the, one of the reasons I can't swear off social media in its entirety is I found you guys from uh, Instagram. Somebody messaged me. And they were like, I think you would like this song one. Yeah. And I had that great experience of putting it on, like literally just listening to music, sitting in a chair with the speakers and listening. And I was just crying and blown away. And I was like, so I can't, I can't uninstall the app completely. And then that person told me that in the episode that made him think that I would like you guys, I referenced Alan Watts. He was like, your, your mind is like a, a, a pond and it's filled with all the sediment and the way to get the sediment to settle down is to do nothing <laughs> and then don't rock the waves. And then the sediment falls and then you have a clear lake or pond. And they said that you might be calling the new record something based on that. That might be completely wrong, but tides is sort of in that ballpark. <laughs> Interesting. Clear, That's water, a, clear water was another uh, That's a song title. Okay. That might've been it. Yeah. This must be somebody you know, because otherwise, how would they know that? Yeah, who was that? I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. But I love that they did it, because this has been such a joy, man. Like I, I loved so it. And smart doesn't, and lovely. Doesn't it feel like we're sitting... I feel like I'm sitting on the same sort of mustard yellow couch with you guys. It, yeah, I feel like we're in the same room. I do. I had a podcast recently. I don't mean to put somebody down, but they, they sort of made a flip and comment. They were like, Oh, I, we have all day. You do like three hour podcasts. And I was like, the three hour podcast is, is 
is is earned. It's an or it, or to put it in the frame of this conversation, it's organic. I don't go like I do long podcasts. Yeah. I feel like for real, we've been talking for twenty five minutes. <laughs> I really, honestly do, and I'm so grateful for you guys and for your music. And I'm so glad we got to meet. Me Us too, too man. I'm it's- so grateful for this this opportunity. I mean, we're huge fans of yours too. This is just like a, it's a wild moment. It's a very wild moment. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I didn't know that. That's great. Oh no. Somebody from your team said that you guys enjoyed me, which was very nice. Again, we're back to the beginning. Um, The guys in our band. Oh, that's great. That's great. Because we get heavy. I I like to end with a light. uh, It doesn't have to be long. Can you think of a time you laughed really, really, really hard in your life? Um, to give you some context, I don't need a great story. Yeah. The one that Val and I like is I w- we were at the Bowery Hotel in New York and I came out of the bathroom and sort of in a garden state moment, I went, let's just do something that's never been done before. And I started dancing in this ridiculous way. But then I hit my head. I'm six foot six. I hit my head on the lamp and then she laughed so hard she farted. And then... <laughs> We both just fell to the floor and died. Like, oh, and my pants fell down. So the reason I <laughs> oh, fell was because in the spinning, I hit my head, my pants fall down. And then she laughs and I hear the tiniest little fart oh. and we died. So it doesn't need to be a good story. <laughs> but if you guys are laughing, where are you? How old are you? Anything. Oh, God. Shit, man. Well, we laugh quite a bit, but I don't. I know. I love moments like that. Like chaos really makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, some unplanned chaos, but I, I don't have like a, a recent memory of that, though. Uh, the, this was a private one for me, and it really doesn't even compare to your story. But I, <laughs> it's so fun. I had the opposite effect. I tried to be like, it doesn't have to be great. And then as I was telling it, I was like. Oh no, this is a pretty great one. I just mean out of the sandwich on your story. <laughs> so my dog uh was getting a lot of water and he drank I think he drank all of his water and he burped and he started to throw up and he threw up and he slipped and he fell on his hip in his own throw up. And uh, I got down. <laughs> my hands and knees and got with him. He was very humiliated. It felt like his ears were back. His eyes were big and he was nervous and he laid down. I was just laughing with him. And uh, it was was a pretty chaotic, like 30 seconds, I would say. I had a really good laugh at that. That makes me so happy that not to over intellectualize or over spiritualize it, but that feels like the water going back into the ocean. You go, I'm a dog throwing up on myself. And then your, your master just is laughing, <laughs> laughing that you thought that was embarrassing. Cause it actually delighted the, the, the dog's owner. It did. As long as he ended up being okay. It was so yeah. funny. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, you got anything? Man, we've laughed so hard before, and it's gone. I got nothing. It's okay. I the dog puke is good. Don't don't feel burdened. We'll send you an email. We'll yeah. Follow up with- <laughs> <laughs> or wreck our memories to try and come up with something. It's beautiful. Well, we end the show with the the guest saying, uh, "Keep it crispy." It's how we sign off. 
if you guys would grace us with a keep it crispy. I'll I'll let you loose to the what's left of your afternoon. <laughs> Thank you for giving me so much time. I really enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you, you for giving us so much of your time, man. This, this has been yeah. such an honor and treat. I loved it too. You want to do it on the count of three? Let's say it together on okay. the count of three. One, two, three. Keep it crispy. Oh, wow. Same time and everything. <laughs> you prolonged you it. Both, you did prolong it, but that was an artistic choice. But you had the same gap between it and crispy, which yeah. I really, that, that speaks to your experience as musicians. Mm. Thank you. Mm, thank you. <laughs> May your lives be like what we want the Big Lebowski to be, not the panic that it actually is. That's my benediction. <laughs> thank you, guys. I'll, sh- I'll send my info. Let's stay in touch. I'd love to meet you someday. And uh, thank you for doing it. Yeah, of course, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so okay. much. Bye bye. Thank you, guys. See ya. Bye. I'm so crispy. I'm so crispy. My ice cream. I'm so crispy.